Wrestling Geeks Alliance. your friend Dane Alves, another great episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, the weekly show in which me and my co-host, Christopher, brother Ray Patton, not Christopher, it's actually Christopher, sorry about that, Chris, uh, break down the latest and greatest in professional wrestling news and provide you with reviews over some of the shows, whether it be during the week or the pay-per-views themselves. We've got a big show for you today, so without further ado, Christopher, brother Ray Patton, I apologize, sir, for calling you Christopher. That's okay, that's my WWE gimmick name. You know, as soon as I get up to the NXT roster, that's what they're going to call me as Christopher. That'll be my entire gimmick. Uh, <laughs> I don't understand why everyone's worried if people go from NXT to the main... Anyways, uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, it's a good weekend. Got my noon beers. So shout out cool. shout out to everyone drinking noon beers. And uh, it was a good week, man. How about you? How was your week going? Week went great. This morning, bong and Fruit Loops, you know, that whole kind of thing, so... I'm ready to do this. Well, let's get this show on the road, as they say, I guess. All right, let's talk a little bit. I want to, at the beginning of the show, to break down some of the uh, stuff that happened with the biographies, since they've been such a wonderful con- uh, constant between two different networks, providing most of the time excellent documentaries, including A&E. Um, but before we get into the ones that happened this week, I just kind of want to overhaul just because I really don't want to talk that much about one of them because it was so disturbing. Um, but also, just I want to say Mick Foley's, until I saw Bret Hart's, Mick Foley's was my favorite documentary they made this year. Um, I loved the Bret one, though. I thought that was really well done. But Mick Foley had a great A&E documentary. Uh, if you haven't got a chance to check it out, I definitely would. Just going around the whole entire concept of him, you know, being this wrestler that kind of wasn't, you know supposed to really make it to the level that he did and achieving that goal and, uh, you know, his love and passion for wrestling and the fact that he still amazingly holds so much intelligence, even though all the damage that he's taken throughout the years and also a really, really disturbing dark side of the ring about uh, the Grizzly Smith uh, family, including Rock and Robin, Jake the Snake Roberts, and... Um, yeah, just uh, really heavy stuff. It was a really well-done documentary. It was probably one of the most well-done ones that they've done, period. Uh, but it was extremely depressing. Not just disturbing, more so than anything. Um, I don't, like I said, I mean, it involves pedophilia. It involves basically raping your daughter. Yeah, no, no, raping your daughter. And a lot of the disturbed stuff, manipulating your stepmother, or manipulating your wife to, like, basically rape your son. Like, just so many mean, disgusting things that this man did while being essentially kind of like the gorilla monsoon of his area. You know, that big guy in the territory that would play a heel but was beloved within that industry and later would become big within the, the, the booking world, uh, the, the agenting world, um, and just crazy that 
all that him and Jake and Rock and Robin, I can't remember uh, for some reason the, the brother's name, um, all worked for the WWE at one point. And a lot of people throughout the industry, even their friends, didn't know some of them were related to each other. Really just a uh, disturbing thing. Um, I'm glad that the Mick Foley one was a little more uplifting than the two of them. And I swear, this week, uh, A&E had the more uplifting one with all the stuff that happened to Brett without his, throughout his career compared to the one we'll talk about with Dynamite Kid. But uh, we didn't talk about him last time. Uh, what did you think about the Grizzly Smith, uh, Dark Side of the Ring, um, and the Mick Foley A&E uh, documentary? Yeah, for the Grizzly Smith one, I would say if you're sensitive to child abuse in any form, maybe skip that one. Um, for those listeners out there, if you have a hard time with that, that this one is not for you. It is a good tale of what Jake and his family went through and who Grizzly Smith actually was behind the curtain, so to speak. Um, I think, you know, if you want a good recap about kind of how people thought about Grizzly Smith until this stuff started surfacing years later, uh, Jim Cornette did a good Q&A about Grizz the Grizzly Smith documentary on his podcast where he was essentially talking about how, like, it was kind of joked about in a ribbing way that this guy might be, like, a, a pedo, but no one took it seriously. They thought it was just busting his balls, and then years later this come out, and it's kind of just a weird... I don't want to say weird. It's it's a tragic tale in general, but it is just kind of weird that there's this guy was like two completely different people. And like you said, kind of was the gorilla monsoon of his territories in a lot of ways. And I think what Jim Cornette was alluding to is that he kind of knew all of the ring rats and had his own drug and alcohol issues and uh, knew all of the, let's say, working girls in each town and was doing fucked up shit even before the kid stuff so it's it's an interesting documentary it is one like i said if you're sensitive to that kind of thing probably skip like my wife didn't want to watch that one she saw like 10 minutes of it and was like nah fuck this i'm out uh which i can't blame you you know what i mean it, it's a, it was a tough watch the bret hart one while it didn't tell us anything kind of groundbreaking about bret hart's career it was uh, the nice Mick Foley one. We'll, we'll talk about the bret one and dynamite one next okay um yeah the mcfoley one was the same thing uh it was just a it's just a fun story. I like seeing some of the old footage. Uh, if you've read both of McFully's books, you're not going to draw a lot of a lot of new opinions out of it. But it was cool just seeing Mick kind of tell his story in, in that fashion. Because I don't think I've ever seen a documentary of mankind. You know, WWE did a lot of these for different superstars. But if they released a McFully one, I don't remember seeing it. Um, nothing groundbreaking, but once again, it was a really good documentary. Uh, so far, my favorite one's still been the Booker T one, just because it, there was stuff in there that I didn't know personally, uh, maybe either from not listening to his podcast or, you know, I don't think Booker's ever put out a book that I've read. So that one's probably the one that I got the most out of as far as the A&E stuff goes. Yeah, for information, I would definitely agree with you. The Mick Foley one was just nice to see the journey that he had, and even though he put himself through... Ugh, you know, we'll talk about the Dynamite Kid, another person that destroyed his body. But uh, Mick did some crazy shit, uh, made it to the top, was beloved by the industry, became a best-selling author. Um, just just love Mick Foley, man. I think that that's really what it comes down to. Uh, his wrestling style, I mean, because he was incredible with psychology, with, with wrestling in general, whether it be something more rough like he did more close to the beginning of his career or later on. 
But um, good stuff, uh, nonetheless. Uh, but yeah, this last week. What were you, were you going to say something? I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just going to real quickly say that they did skip over the Rock headshotting McFoley like 14 times, unless I just completely missed it in the documentary, and I think that's a big part of Mick's career. Oh, did no, they just, went over that because I they, remember that. Yeah, they, they, they were talking about the filming of, um, what was it called? Uh, man, what's the movie called from back in the day? Beyond the Mat. Sh- yeah, and just like the reaction of the children and how it really kind of messed up. Noel doesn't really remember it, but uh, uh, the son, uh, you know, vividly remembers his dad getting massacred by the rock with a chair and then them hanging out afterwards as if it was nothing because Mick was so concussed. His commitment level, man. I mean, obviously, that should have been something that you just – a lot of people criticize Dwayne Johnson. I don't blame them. Uh, because that's something that you should all – even if the guy's screaming at you to hit him again and he told you beforehand, hit me until I, uh, until I don't stop, you've got to know something's wrong with him after a couple shots and you've already destroyed a chair to not continue going until 12 friggin' shots. So maybe they didn't put a lot of emphasis on, you know, that The Rock was a part of this because that's something that kind of gets brushed under the rug, at least with his career. But Mick kind of takes – Still to this day, an amount of, you know, ownership over it because of the fact that he was so instructing Rock before the match to keep on hitting him until he told him to stop. But it's just a judgment call that you should make that if the person's, you know, in his condition, you don't continue like that. And with the kids there, that was very, very, you know, um, selfish of Mick Foley to do, I would say. Yeah, and I've heard that story change over the years, too, where he had told The Rock a set amount of shots and then got concussed in the middle and lost count of how many chair shots it was. So there's been various stories Mick has told over the year. But, you know, they're like you said, I think they're both at blame. Like, one, don't take unprotected headshots because it's fucking stupid. That's why you don't see people do it <laughs> that often anymore. Um, but, yeah, I agree with you. And then uh, the, the only other thing that – was kind of cool to talk like hear him talk about was the Kane Dewey stuff because he went more into detail about it and how initially he was okay until he got home and his wife was like what the fuck dude <laughs> uh, so that was kind of neat because even reading his books I don't remember the detail of him having that conversation with his wife in those books just that that was kind of the turning point where he was the anti-hardcore guy in ECW. So that was something neat to take from that documentary. And I, I really liked the Mick Foley. It's hard not to like anything with Mick Foley. He's just such a lovable guy, man. Yeah, man. It, God bless Mick Foley. That's all I got to say. Um, yeah. And uh, going into the Bret Hart documentary, I loved it. I mean, yeah, we did. I liked the early stuff because I did get to learn more details themselves. Like, I knew the, the stories, but seeing the old footage and – you know, how when the selling of Stampede went to WWE, I've heard this many times, that his two brother-in-laws, uh, Jim Neidhart um, and uh, Davey Boy Smith, along with Brett and Dynamite Kid and eventually Owen would be, you know, within that whole entire trading process of the territory. Uh, but just the stories and how people really, I mean, this is throughout the whole entire documentary, it seemed like, People really respected Brett for taking it too seriously, but the story of it was that sometimes Brett took it too seriously. I think that's really what it's come down to. I'm glad to hear from Brett in interviews that him and Sean have a good relationship now, that him and Vince have a 
I, I don't think it's ever going to be to where it was, but m- much better than what than when, what happened. Uh, I think that he's kind of sick, and I think that Sean's kind of sick, and I'm kind of sick of the Montreal screw job just being so pivotal in both of their careers. But it is. I mean, it's it is what it is, and um, just Brett still uh, he's still pissed off at Bob Goldberg. Doesn't mind taking pot shots with him, uh, but. You know, I just, I love his style. I think that it's very influencing. Uh, I think that what he would do offensively to me and just the little things like tucking his legs out and slamming down a suplex like they showed and Drew McIntyre kind of showed like that's a way that he does it. I've seen many wrestlers do it the same way. It's very similar to a Sean and AJ defensively the way that they take like a backdrop. Like AJ's probably got the best on the planet where he'll just elevate himself even more to make it look more tremendous. You know, the punches look crisp. It just looked like a fight. He lo- he really just seemed like a real dude. And thank God, like you said, Sam Roberts only commented once uh, in the damn documentary. <laughs> but I thought it was I thought it was good. I'm glad that Brett is where he is now to this day. He's trained so many wrestlers. I mean, if you think about the last camp that he had, that he had a hand in physically himself teaching, produced Mark Henry, Trish Stratus, Test, and two guys named Edge and Christian, you know, uh, were technically his last dungeon group. And then I'm sure he had some hands in the, the last one out of that, uh, you know, with Natalia, your Tyson Kidd, uh, your uh, Harry Smith Jr., and, um, and Teddy Hart, you know. Uh, it's just... It's a he's a he's a very weird wrestler. Like like I said, I think he gets a little bit too emotional and too into his head. But the way he respects the business, he kind of in a lot of ways embodies that concept. And I mean, he met all these guys because they were friends with his dad and would come to his territory. That I think Luthez was to NWA during his time. Uh, he was in the early '90s with the WWE. I've heard Jim Cornette say that he was an NWA champion. In the WWE, that's what really separated himself is that he had that prestige. So I, I, I like the documentary a lot, and um, yeah, I thought it was good. I, I sometimes those it's funny because my biggest complaint with A and E is that their documentaries sometimes go on too long. But I feel like the Dark Side of the Rings kind of cut abruptly. So weird. But uh, what did you think of the documentary? I love the the thing because all the other Bret Hart stuff we've heard so much over the years, and it's been out there, and he's had his book and stuff. But I it made me want a Stu Hart A and E documentary more than anything else because I thought that was a really cool or a movie. First, yeah, like the first ten minutes of the documentary is more about Stu Hart and meeting Bret's mom, and then building the territory up and starting the dungeon and all that stuff, and that was fucking great. Like I love that because um, that was stuff I haven't heard. And I'm sure it's in Bret's book. Um, but that what is it? Uh, cart something drawing in a cartoon world. It, they related it in the documentary too when they had Brett drawing. But that I think that's the name of his book. Um, but yeah, this is a really good documentary. I love the part where Brett's talking. I just thought it was normal that people had bears living under their porch, which uh, <laughs> is <just> really weird. <laughs> it's a very fucking Canadian thing. Uh, yeah, just the little stuff like that. It was cool seeing Natalia on there. Uh, a lot of the early footage from. Stampede was really cool to see Brett talking about how he loved the doors because he thought his hair looked like Jim Morrison's hair was pretty fucking great. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just done with the rehashing of the Montreal screw job. I think much like 
everyone just because we've had so many documentaries over the years. It's just a retold story. But it's something you have to include in this, right? So that section I kind of just tuned out because you're not going to hear anything new, really. Uh, but the rest of it was really good, man. I enjoyed it. And it was it was nice to see Brett seemingly in a good mood throughout the entire documentary, like telling the story of his career. He seems like he's kind of in a better place, except for the WCW run he had where he was just like they did, had no clue what they were doing. And he's 100 percent right. They, they did have no clue what they were doing during that time period, which is why it folded in 2001. Yeah, and um, I mean that's the that's another what if of wrestling. There's so many of them, you know. What if Randy had that that year long program with Shawn Michaels? Uh, what if there's so many of them? What if Sting and Undertaker was were able to go at it? What if Brett didn't get injured to the extent that would end up causing a stroke from um, Bill Goldberg? Would he have as soon as WCW disintegrated? him and Vince would have worked shit out and would he have come to WWE? Because at that time, I mean, Brett towards the tail end in his career and the ruthless aggression era, I think he would have strived again. And it's kind of like, unfortunately, and I, it much more darker concept. We talked about this with the Owen documentary that Chris Jericho brought up. If Owen would have survived, would he have stayed in the wrestling? You know, you, for both of them, you have Kurt Angle, you have Eddie Guerrero, you have a young Randy Orton, you have, uh, you know, Chris Benoit, uh, you have Edge, you have Christian, you have all these great in-ring wrestling minds, Brock Lesnar, that they could have bounced off of to completely, and, and Jericho, to reinvigorate their career. And then who's to say that when Sean came back, we couldn't have had that final piece of the puzzle. The ending sucks, but I'm glad he's in a good place, Chris, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. It was uh, the his ex-wife talking about having to take care of Brett and the mental space he was in um, up until their divorce and how they were happy 50% of the time and angry at each other 50% of the time. Like it was a flip of the coin. That was interesting stuff. Um, seems like he's really happy with his new wife and that everything's going good with his kids. So that's awesome. With WCW in particular, I mean, the match that everyone really wanted was Brett versus Flair for the title. And instead, they did the whole NWO Goldberg. I mean, even outside before he got injured, they didn't know what the fuck to do with Brett. And Bischoff blames it on the death of Owen and Brett just being in a weird mindset. But, I mean, Brett was Brett was already in WCW by then, so I don't know what Bischoff's talking about. If you've ever read Bischoff's book or heard him talk about Brett, and he kind of he blames Brett's booking on Bret Hart more so than just WCW didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Um, but yeah, it is, it sucks that he was taken out by Goldberg and he kind of talks about it in that documentary. He's like, yeah, he kicked me as hard as he fucking could basically. Um, didn't Brett say that's the hardest he's ever been hit in the ring, which is crazy. Cause the guy had what, like a 30 year career before he got there. Yeah. Not only that, how many friggin' rivalries with dynamite kid at the beginning of their careers with dynamite as hard as he was hitting, you know, to say that Goldberg hit him the hardest. I mean, th- besides a plethora of, of wrestlers, but yeah, that's that's uh, that's not good. And I, I, I kind of, you know, part of me in a little way feels bad for Goldberg because obviously that was a fucking accident. Shit happens. That's wrestling. That's what happens when you get in the ring. But you're talking about a guy 
you know, to counter that, which sucks for Goldberg, is that Bret Hart was so safe within his career. He made stuff look snug, but he wasn't hurting the person. He really went by that type of code. He Everything that wrestlers were supposed to do, Bret had a fucking page in the back, and you would go over and read them before he went into a match. That's how I feel, you know? Um, and with Goldberg, say what you want about him. He was athletic as hell. He was over his shit, and he was a main draw for a very long time, that even if he wasn't the most efficient wrestler, by that time, I feel like it was more of a freak accident than anything. Because how many times did he do that sidekick to people throughout matches? So I'm not trying to... I'm I'm sticking up for Goldberg, but I'm not trying to say that he was a great wrestler by any means. But Brett seems to take a lot of stuff to heart, like I've said. I mean, he is Bret Hart, but I'm... Yeah, I would just counter that with that's... Gold, that's he's not the only person Goldberg hurt over the tenure of his career. That's true. That's very true. Well, at least he's not Ryback, his uh, you know weird uh, m- mutant uh, brother, I guess. But um, anyways, uh, and then the Dynamite Kid one. Uh, man, <sighs> respect a wrestler that is the reason why we've gotten to the level. I want to say basically all this kind of channels throughout the 90s and there's great waves of it, you know, with your Bretts and Sean matches and and what what's going on over here in the cruiserweight department. And then obviously in all Japan with Kawada and the rest of the four pillars, um, you know, Misawa, Kenta and, and such. Uh, it just seems like that generated a lot of stuff to get to the ruthless aggression era where it was acceptable on WWE for the wrestling to matter, especially on SmackDown side of things, and your Ring of Honors, and it kind of evolved this style. That beginning really equates to two men, I, I feel like. You know, there's definitely your Macho Man Randy Savages who was doing, you know, stuff in his dad's promotion in, in Memphis that was different than anyone was doing. Uh, you know, there was definitely your Ricky Steamboats and, J- and uh, Jay Youngbloods as a tag team, and then Ricky br- branching off from that. Uh, that would really take it up. Your Ricky Mortons, well, just Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express, those wrestlers really, Kurt Hennings, everyone was really enhancing the sport and the technicality of stuff uh, going into the 90s and would be the reason why it would get to this level. But Sayama, Tiger Mask, and Dynamite Kid were kind of the first. I mean, in the early, early 80s, they were doing stuff Way before their time. I mean, they're segmented matches. There's one famous one that only, there's only one, but it's it's the famous one that's on the WWE Network. I really wish that we I, maybe I was the only one that was affiliated with the WWE. I love to see a lot more. I probably just need to go research more. But those two wrestlers, I mean, the influence: Owen Hart, Eddie Guerrero, uh, Chris Benoit, you know, Jushin Liger. They did that, and then this guy ends up being a part of one of the biggest tag teams of all time. But was such... I don't know if he had demons or if he just was an egomaniac. Um, I know that it definitely excelled with the the steroids and the drug use and and the alcohol, but the the ribs that weren't funny. You know, Owen ribbed people and everyone laughed. Dynamite did it, and it was malicious. It was breaking into someone's house and taking a crap in their bag and shaving them bald after you basically roofied them. Like, what the fuck? Davey also, like, what the hell with him? Um, but he kind of cut ties. They don't really talk about, which I wish they did, the dissension between him and, and, and 
and uh, British Bulldog because they had a complete falling out that really wasn't, you know, went into. And they were both married to si- – no, no. Dynamite was married to the sister of Julie Hart. And I'm sorry. Like, I'm not trying to criticize, but what he did specifically to his wife and his children – his children viewing it, or the youngest one knowing that at one point, her daddy, while she was in the belly of her mom, um, you know, their dad had a gun to her mom's head. And if that would have happened, obviously she wouldn't be there. And just all that stuff, that trauma, or the direct trauma of doing it in front of the other ones, I mean, it's just disgusting, man. I mean, you had someone, it's just so weird, the parallels. Besides the fact that it's, everyone says it's strange because Benoit was the nicest guy, you know, and, and, he had this track record where until the end, like, you know, it you you couldn't tell that anything was going wrong. And then it just the escalation of his his marriage, you know, just falling apart. And then obviously that ending besides style, besides look, besides emulating Dynamite Kid, they kind of had a lot of similar qualities, unfortunately, with their their life outside of wrestling. And Dynamites would end him in a fucking wheelchair um, and having the saddest matches from the clips they had of him in all Japan, just a complete, you know, joke of what he used to be basically, unfortunately. And then just being alone and getting a divorce and his ex-wife definitely had Stockholm syndrome, still defends him after all the stuff that she told us, putting in her closet. It just, it was dark, man. It wasn't as dark as the Grizzly Smith one, but it was very much up there. Um, it's hard. It's uh, like Lance Storm said, it's very hard to uh, think of him in such a high way, in a high regard, even though he's been such an influence to modern style because of what he did in his spare time and who he became. Um, and, you know, the counterpoint of his ex-wife saying, I don't understand why there's wrestlers that have done way worse than him, but are, are still put on a different level and Dynamite's kind of shunned upon. Um I don't know. I don't know many wrestlers that have done that type of stuff to that level that are not shunned upon, but maybe I can just disagree with her. I just, I think it comes down to my aggravation with her is that your kids were put through this too. The ones that weren't born and the ones that were right there and you're still defending him. And I understand it was your husband, but you end up getting a divorce with them and going off about the whole thing for the first time on the air during the Benoit documentary. But for some reason, you know, it just seems like she still loves him, which is something that's, Hard to get over, but really, ugh. what did you think about this documentary, Chris? Well, I'll start out with the positives. Like you said, I mean, obviously a big influence specifically to Japanese wrestling. I don't think if him and Tiger Mask have those matches, you get the Jishin Thunder Liger that we all know and love. One of my favorite wrestlers of all time. He kind of spun out of a combination of those two and what those matches were that led to why Jushin Thunder Liger was so great. Right. Um, and like you said, I mean, it, every one of the influences, like people like Eddie Guerrero and, and uh, Chris Benoit and, and a lot of these guys that people now say are their, you know, their idols or who they grew up wanting to imitate and be more like a lot of that stuff was pulled from dynamite kid and tiger masks. So, I mean, that's the positive. Even like, Brett and Owen. Exactly. And I think, you know, that's the positive, the career takeaway is that, you know, in ring, he inspired a lot of people. And hopefully, you know, those people don't make the same bad decisions that he made. Unfortunately, with Benoit, it seems like I'm not going to say it's 100 percent one for one. Uh, but, 
you know, it, it, like you said, there is a lot of it, it, more imitation there than, than there should have been, like with the outside of the ring stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, the, they did a good job of breaking down his career and kind of the escalation of who he became. Uh, you know, once he caught the injury and he's like wrestling, basically getting out of a wheelchair and wrestling and uh, laying in his friend's floor and just crying in so much pain. And, and, you know, there's some of that that led to increased steroid use, increased alcohol use, increased drug use, et cetera, just trying to work those dates. I mean, this is a man that seems like he did really put his wrestling career above all. And they summed it up perfectly at the end of the documentary where his wife is talking and she says, he, he said he hopes that his daughter is proud of his body or his daughters or his kids are proud of his body of work. That was like the one takeaway he wanted them to have about him. And that's how much wrestling meant to him. So from that standpoint, you know, from the wrestling part of this, I mean, he's an absolute legend. But yes, he is going to get ridiculed and criticized. I mean, whether it's him jumping the Mountie from behind and then getting his teeth knocked out by the Mountie, which was a fun little story that she did not want to talk about at all in the documentary, his wife or ex-wife, I should say. Um, or it's like you said, him roofing this guy and, and shaving his eyebrows and head, which essentially was going to ruin his wrestling career, at least until he could grow his shit back um, and shitting in his bag and all that stuff, like breaking into his hotel room. Like that's a crime. That's not necessarily a rib, you know, <laughs> like roofing someone and then breaking into their hotel room. That's not necessarily a rib. And I think that goes to what you were saying, like, or what they were saying on the documentary, a lot of his ribs weren't funny. They were only funny to him. Um, you know, yelling at his wife because she was drinking tonic water and locking her in the closet. And, and, and like you said, the shotgun stuff. And his wife basically saying, I think the only reason I'm alive is because I'm preg- I was pregnant. That, I mean, it's a lot of dark shit there. And then them talking about him just after he quit wrestling was just having, I guess, garage fights, like bare knuckle fights for no reason. The guy obviously had some problems, and we know his body completely was, I mean, it was pretty much broken down by the end of the, the Bulldog run, the British Bulldogs run in, in WWF, uh, just because his body was already broken down then. I know he came back to Japan and, and worked there for a while even after that, but it's a dark one, and unlike, I will say the difference between the Grizzly Smith one is you do have the Jake and his family are trying to get past it and deal with it and come back to to hopefully have a relationship with one another. You were kind of left with this, at least a hopeful message towards the end where this one's just like, yeah. And then he died. And I, at least I got to see him before he died. And the other daughter just didn't have anything to do with him. And I, it just wrapped up a lot sadder, but I think that's just the career of dynamite kid in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we did this on the show when he died, but you know, just rest in peace to dynamite kid. And, uh, but man, someone who had some major demons, but such a huge influence within wrestling. Um, I'm going to go back. I'm going to try to find some early Dynamite Kid Bret Hart matches. I've seen a couple. I think the ones that were available on the network, but I know that there's more. And I know that, that at that, when they were younger and even a little leaner, they had some pretty incredible back and forth matches. So that's what I'll take away from that. But yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think that a lot of that Calgary stuff the Calgary stuff hasn't been posted up on the cock yet. So <laughs> I'll have to YouTube and daily motion at motherfucking yeah. cock. Jesus. 
Yeah. So I hopefully maybe they, you know, because the documentary came out with Brett, maybe they posted up more of the Calgary stuff. But last time I looked for, I was looking for something from there recently and there was just nothing like that library is still abysmal compared to what it was before they moved over to Peacock. Oh, goody. That's so awesome. So fucking more reasons why I don't have that app anymore. But Dane, how do you watch your pay-per-views? Don't worry about it. Anyways, um, all right, let's move on. Uh, let's get through our, our, our world of wrestling. Let's go through the shows, some of the notes that I've had for uh, a couple of them. And uh, the pay-per-views that we went over last week, I kind of want to just go over basically the last two matches of both pay-per-views. Um, first, let's talk about Dominion. Uh, I was wrong. My aim was off the mark. Uh, Gato's trying some some new shit, and um, I've got something to say about that. Before we get there, though, Kota Bushi and Jeff Cobb had an incredible match that Ibushi would win. It was 15 minutes long, and uh, both those guys, man, especially Jeff Cobb, Jesus, every time I see this guy in New Japan, it's like that was the place he should have gone no matter what. Back when he was playing, you know, wrestling People like Brian Cage and, and Keith Lee at Bingo Halls back a couple of years ago. Um, I think that he's striving so much in this atmosphere. And um, I like Kota getting the win. We can kind of talk about what would happen after Shingo beats Okada. Um, Shingo calls out Kota Ibushi, so they're building up that. Uh, so that's good. But I don't know what that's going to do for Ibushi, because I doubt they're going to take it off of Shingo one pay-per-view. But who knows? You know, Evil had his reign last year, so... Who knows what's going to happen in New Japan? This has been, I got to say, and I mean, I know a lot of it has to do with the pandemic, but as far as booking-wise, and I love Gato, I think he's one of the best bookers in the last fucking 20 years. Uh, as far as some of the stuff that I've seen him do, I think he's getting a little sloppy, in my opinion. But what's not sloppy was this match with Kota Ibushi and uh, Jeff Cobb. I thought it was excellent. What do you think about it, Chris? It was a great match, and I think I, when we were talking about the the predictions last week, I had predicted Kota to win, but I said this this might end up being the best match on the show, um, and it was really good. I think if they would have had a little bit more time, it could have went longer. Uh, the Desperado match before it went like twenty minutes, so I don't know if that was on purpose or if they cut Kota's time, but Kota winning here, I had no problems with, and they paced the match well, and it was it's a really good match. Um, I don't think it was better than the main event, but. It, it was really good. I think if they would have had more time, you could have had, you could have made that argument. But it was a uh, very good match between Coda and Jeff Cobb. I completely agree. And let's go over the main event uh, for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Um, we had the vacated title. Will Ospreay had to turn it down. Apparently, by where they're going, this is the third person to win the title. In the reign of the new title, is that that correct? Because Kota lost to Will, and Will had to drop it. Yeah, this would be the third reign. And Okada's whole approach throughout this, and I loved a lot of the interviews, was like, oh, okay, so this is this is going to be my first reign for this title. Like, I haven't held this company on my back. And all that stuff really, you know, amped me up of thinking that Okada was going to win this. I want to preface this by saying that Shingo Takagi, I think, is awesome. I think he's great in the ring. Uh, he reminds me of like a technical like rhino almost like he's he's really good on the map, but he is a brick shit house 
uh, of a dude. And I remember when he first came on the scene, I was really, you know, in awe of him. His entrance with the weird mask and his look, uh, kind of having almost like a Nakamura-esque look, if you will. Um, and I think he's became an excellent wrestler. I think that his work in the G1 that year that he was in was great. I think that he's definitely built himself. And I thought this was a great match. I really did. Uh, I don't remember Okada actually. Maybe I could be wrong about this. Did Okada ever even get one full Rainmaker? Like, not one out, out of nowhere where he gets him real quick. Like, did he actually even get a Rainmaker on him? Am I forgetting this incorrectly? No. No, and they kind of told the story. Last time he had a match with Takagi, he lost. But he had beaten Takagi yep. before with the money clip. So kind of the story was Okada knew that could put him down. So throughout the match, he went for the money clip like multiple times. Yeah. Uh, and Takagi was one step ahead of them. This was a different kind of Okada match. Okada didn't come out, you know, pedal to the metal like he normally does. And uh, I think Brian Alvarez brought it up, but he says, you know, Okada just got over or had recently got over COVID. So he might still be having some cardio issues. But I will say this match was very well paced and it was a very, very good match. Like overall, like. Okada's just his facial expressions and the way he's able to sell. And this is not taking anything away from Takagi because I think they both were good. Every time they would go down, any time they would go down, they were able to space out the moves where they're selling and make it believable. And um, yeah, it's just Okada. He just couldn't do it, man. Couldn't pull it off. And uh, they sold, you know, they mostly it was Takagi working on, Okada's back, which he had, you know, a back injury a while back, so they're selling that. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I I liked the match. I'm okay with Takagi being the champion. I thought they were going to put it on, on Okada. To me, that made more sense. And, and maybe they'll get back there. Who knows? But, I mean, to me, that sets up the next opponent, you know, outside of Kota, which seems like they're going to do that. I feel like Takagi's got to win that. And it doesn't need to be title versus title again or anything like that. I think it should just be straight for the, the heavyweight championship or whatever. Um, I guess Tanahashi would be next. I'm trying to think of something that would fill the Tokyo Dome, like a, a big level pay-per-view. Because Takagi's not going to draw as high as like someone like a Tanahashi or an Okada would. So I, I, I maybe Jay White I'm trying to think of someone that they would put him against next. Because they're going to have to pump the brakes on Okada for a little bit because they've had three matches, four matches. Okada's been very start and stop, it seems, uh, since his big reign. I mean, we all know Balloon Okada, which was kind of a joke uh, in itself. But is Okada, who's 33 years old, is he kind of have a situation um, like Randy Orton did years ago where he's basically done everything that he's already basically a legend, but he's at, you know, a very beginning stage still in his career. Do they, do they not know how to, you know, advance him more so than he is? I just feel like, I mean, every, every, every major wrestler has gone through this type of thing. A lot of them have, at least I should say. Hulk Hogan wasn't that old when Vince wanted him to start winding down. And that's when it ended up him going to movies and then going to WCW. Uh, you know, the same could be said about Macho Man, too, for that time period. But even younger, Okada, I think Randy Orton is the best example. It's just like, has he done everything in New Japan? Like, what the hell? 
I mean, is he going to go for another title outside the fucking main title? No, that makes no sense. Uh, so the open weight, even if Tanahashi has it, or or the new open weight over here, like he's not going to go after. He's not going to come to the United States to beat Filthy Tom to fucking get that title. Uh, obviously, the light heavyweight's off limits. I mean, what the hell does he do? There's no Intercontinental title. He is one of their biggest stars. No, he is their biggest star outside of Tanahashi, who is a legend. Okada is still a part of this generation. It's almost like them sidelining Roman Reigns to an extent. Uh, instead of how they've built him the last couple years up, Okada seems to have, since he's had that amazing run, kind of been trotting down. Still putting on some of the best matches in the business, don't get me wrong, but this aggravated me, Chris. This, I don't get it. I just go back to the booking. I love Gato. But we had Naito, who had the freaking title for a, a cup of coffee. We had Evil, who had it for a fucking espresso shot, for Christ's sakes. Uh, obviously, Kotobushi, very short run. Uh, then it went to Will Ospreay, freak accident. And now they're going to try another new guy that's really underdeveloped, that's not going to be as much of a pull at some of their major venues coming up. I don't know if that's fucking smart, man. And Kotobushi, we know he's going to lose. There's no way they're going to fucking take it off of... Shingo, it just seems like they don't have a outside of uh, having Tanahashi and Okada in their back pocket. They just they have their Jay Whites, they have their Tetsuya Naitos, but they just don't have a definitive guy that they can count on. And for some reason, to me, you put that back on the guy that you know is going to do well until you get that dude to beat him. So I thought this was really weird and. Um, all I got to say, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll make my statement after this. Uh, but what, I, am I wrong for thinking this? Like, I'm not trying to criticize Gato. He's one of the best bookers on the planet. But his last year and a half have been sloppy, pandemic or not. I, I think a lot of it goes into that they had a long-term plan with Okada versus Will Ospreay at Wrestle Kingdom. I think that was where they were going. And that still could be where they're going, depending on if Osprey is able to come back before Wrestle Kingdom. Like, if he comes back in the fall or the winter he could beat Takagi or Takagi could drop it before then. And then you have the rematch with Takagi and uh, Takagi and Okada and Okada beats him. And then that sets up that match. So I don't know if it's just a long-term booking thing. And the other thing to take away with this once again is, is Okada still not a hundred percent. And if he's not a hundred percent, I'm sure that he doesn't necessarily want to carry the title uh, and have those matches on every pay-per-view because I, he seems like someone who's really proud of his work, which he should be. So, you know, that could tie into it as well. Uh, it, it was interesting to me. So, I mean, what I took away is either they have plans for him and Will Ospreay for the title and they still want to go that route. Or Okada is still not 100% coming back from COVID and, and the back injury. Which, I mean, a lot of his up and down, when you add in COVID and the fact that he wasn't 100% probably the past year and a half... Uh, I think factors into maybe the way he's been booked. I, I I can completely see that. Do you think though, in a way, including the new title along with the title before it, uh, that the value of the title has gone down a little bit uh, since it's been you know kind of hot potatoed uh, over the last year and a half. I mean, in comparison, I mean, it was even more than the last year and a half just because Kenny held it for, what, three months? 
and it skipped around since then. So it's been more than a year and a half at this point, right? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I would say in general, and maybe that's why they tried to refresh the, I think they're trying to refresh the title, you know, coming out of COVID to make it interesting. And in the, before the match, they did show the complete lineage of the title. It's not like they're completely ignoring it. They are saying, you know, with the new title, these are the three people that have held it. Um, but they did show like the lineage with Okada and Tanahashi and AJ Styles. They, I mean, they did put that video package there, but it was the still a great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was a it was a great you know a great little video package, and, and the promo leading up to it really made you want Okada to win. To me, Okada kind of came as the baby face, you know, the old guard, being like, "Yeah, I held that motherfucker for eight hundred days. That's a long time in Japan to hold the title, right?" It really is. Um, and my last statement is that, you know, if he's doing better, if it has nothing to do with his actual health, because you're right, if that's, if it's back issues, if it's lung issues from getting over COVID, you know, for cardio reasons, I mean, that's something that you have to address. But if not, he's done a lot of things. I'm just saying, if there's any crazies, possibly single for single, for a guy to do a run over there, uh, and maybe Daniel Bryan do a run over there, I'd love Okada to show up on fucking, you know, SmackDown, not Monday Night Raw. Um, but, yeah, that would be awesome. That's a good trade, I think, for Daniel Bryan for, like, a four-month program, two-month program. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, it's seeming like it's going to be – it would be the fall if they did anything like that because uh, they're talking to bringing The Rock up for SummerSlam and, and Brock for SummerSlam. Like, they have some big – And Cena. Yeah, they – I mean, I don't know. They, I wouldn't want Okada to come in during the midst of that. Um at least not with the American audience, because I think he'll just be but overshadowed. Hasn't the Rock shot, or hasn't he made, the Rock shouted him out before, like giving him praise? Man, put the Rock against Okada, put him on the map right away, make him beat the Rock, SummerSlam. <laughs> I mean, that would be that would be amazing, but it's I think... not going to happen. Do you think the one thing I have to say though, Chris? Crowds, obviously, we know New Japan. The general audience, though. How would their reaction happen? Would it be a big explosion if you hear Kazuchi Okada's team hit without anyone knowing it's happening at, like, one of these live events or a pay-per-view? In in Japan or in America? In America. I'm saying, would the American audience resonate and, like, you know, get all, like, we have to realize as fans that a lot of us know this type of stuff, but the general public might, you know, not know who the fuck he is. But I feel like still he would get a huge reaction if that bum, 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 you know, well, our, listen to our intro song, actually. It's not Okada's because it's ding, 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 da, da, ding, ding, not ding, 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 da, da, ding, ding. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would think he would get a big reaction. Enough fans know who he is and, and the WWE audience isn't as broad as it used to be. I mean, if you look at the numbers, it's, it's a niche it's a niche amount of fans. That's why when Triple H says stuff like he said on the pre- the, the conference call, which we'll get into later, it's, it's fucking ridiculous. Because I think the fans that are out there are savvy enough to look kind of behind the scenes. I mean, everything's at your fingertips at this point in the world in general, whether it's movies or comics or wrestling or even football, you know, like free agent signings. Like, think about how much people dig into that and how big of a part that is for all of those different things. I think the crowd would pop just like they did for Nakamura. Like when we were talking about Nakamura, uh, when he first debuted in NXT, there was, there was that, well, are people going to know who he is? And as soon as he showed up, the fucking roof blew off the place. 
So, you know, it's just one of those things where, yes, I, I think he would still get a huge reaction. I wouldn't bring him in until after you get through with Cena, Brock, and The Rock. Um, just because, like I yeah, said, yeah. He'll, he'll just be overshadowed. And The Rock, I mean, The Rock only wants to wrestle Roman. He's probably, like, hosting, I would assume. I don't know if he's going to have a match. I can't see him having a match unless it's WrestleMania, even SummerSlam. I could see him doing a ref spot for maybe... Uh, okay, yeah. For for the Uso, like, the which Uso brother is it? The one that's... Jimmy? It's Jimmy, yeah. I could see, you know, if they do Jimmy versus Roman, having The Rock be uh, the referee and be a special enforcer to keep the other Uso out of the ring kind of thing. I could see him doing something like that. And then, like you said, I mean, the, the match would be at Mania. If it's The Rock, they would they would do that. And and that seems to be like the match The Rock has wanted to have. Um, but they, you know, they didn't, apparently they didn't want to do it last year. This is per Meltzer. There was talked about trying to do it last year, but without the fans being there, you know, they figured they would wait until either this year or next year where you're going to have like 80,000 people in the yeah. Texas stadium or whatever. What do they call it? Jerry's World? <laughs> the owner of the Dallas Cowboys? <laughs> Jerry's World. That's pretty good. Um, yeah, I. Uh, it's going to be interesting, but, um, you know, there's still big things for Okada. I'm just kind of like, I guess, just pissed off in my own like little. It was kind of like, but uh, when, even though I think Roosh is awesome, when Jay Lethal lost to him this last time, and I'm like, but you just had his whole entire group win every single title and defend the other title, and then he comes up short, and he's your go-to guy, like, I get that maybe I shouldn't expect it always to go to the biggest names in the company because you're trying to develop people, but sometimes I feel like they give in whatever company an underdeveloped person that thing and that it doesn't work out for them. So maybe having them build themselves up in the meantime so there's a good reasoning for them to take that title from that said bigger person, larger name, bigger superstar, I don't know. It just would work out better. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, to, to, I agree with you to some extent. I mean, it, you have to try to get other people over, right? Like with the Jay Lethal thing, um, he can't always be the champion there. It may be the same thing with Okada. I just feel like Takagi is a transitional champion, and it is going to be yeah. Osprey versus Okada. Like, I feel like that was the long-term plan. That's what they're going to roll with. If Osprey can be there, great. But they don't want the belt on Okada during that time period, I think they would rather Okada do like 10 man matches and be healthy headed into wrestle kingdom or, or right around wrestle kingdom. Um, I will see. I mean, I could be wrong, but that would be my guess of, of what's happening and what's going on. Uh, I was also really sad because I love Okada. And I think, you know, 50% healthy Okada is still better than 90% of the rest of the wrestlers in the world. <laughs> As he showed in this match. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's crazy. All right, well, um, let's go to the NWA, who I thought also had a weird thing that happened about it, but more so within the match itself. I will say uh, Camille beat Serena Deeb and is now the NWA World's uh, Women's Championship. I think Camille and Serena Deeb had a really good match. Uh, it was 15 minutes. Um, I think that, you know, Serena Deeb's going to be really good at hiding weaknesses. Um, same thing that you'd want from a Shawn Michaels, from a Bret Hart, certain other wrestlers, is being able to make the person, if they aren't 
as good in certain uh, areas to really make them shine. And that was the whole point of Serena Deeb, who I'm pretty sure is an AEW wrestler still and never really had any actual contractual affiliation with NWA. She just won the title. So kind of a long-term placeholder until they figured out if they wanted to put it on Camille or Thunder Rosa. Obviously, Camille won that between the two of them and then won against this. And Camille's got – her and Jake Cargill have two of the best athletic looks and a lot of potential both. It's just the evolution of them getting better in the ring. And Nick Aldis, um, I thought that the match that he had – let's see, how long was it? It was a 13-minute match. Pretty short, but it was a good NWA-style match, I would say. Like, just a nice fight, if you will, between him and Trevor Murdoch. And they're going to continue with the storyline, because they kind of showed that on the show. And Trevor cut another great promo, so I like them having him kind of be their... Just their, their everyman type of guy to go against Nick Aldis. Um, but they just DQ'd it at the end. They did a stupid... Like, Nick was... Um, you know, on the outs, it looked like he was actually going to lose. And then they kind of did like a dusty finish, which I think Billy Corgan wanted to do that and like a nod. But I don't know if you do that for pay-per-views. It just does not work out anymore. I know that that's extending things, but you usually do that on television shows. I don't expect it to happen in the main event of a pay-per-view for the NWA title. So that's my biggest thing. But I think Nick Aldis is that guy for NWA, like we were talking about. So I don't think Trevor Murdoch's going to get that off of him. I think eventually we're going to get to him and Cody, and that's going to be a possibility of getting that off of Aldis, maybe. But that's that to me is more realistic than Trevor Murdoch, even though I've really liked Trevor Murdoch in this role. Chris? Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, I accidentally muted my headphones. Yeah, uh, a lot of people are really pissed off about this finish, man. Like, uh, maybe not the best thing to do your first big pay-per-view back. Or the first one that seemed like a big deal, you know, with with all the titles being defended, etc. Maybe a time limit draw would have made people less pissed off. (laughs) Or some sort of other finish, even if you wanted to continue the storyline. But... Uh, to me, you just needed a finish in this match. But hook or crook, I mean, you could have just had Al just cheat and win. If I mean, if you wanted to do that, but uh, a lot of people were really pissed off about that finish. As far as uh, Camille winning the championship, I didn't have her pick to do that, but uh, I guess that's the route they're going. And maybe Serena Deeb's is just going to be more involved in AEW, and maybe that's why they're moving the title, which would be fine because. Britt Baker needs someone to go against and have good matches with. That would be a, uh, a good opponent for her, especially if they're going to build out like a long-term program. So uh, the other thing is Mickey James is coming in. I don't know if that we were going to save that to the news, but she's officially signed with uh, NWA, right? Mickey James is coming in and she made a big announcement that's coming up. And I'm actually excited about this. It sounds like what what Mickey's trying to do is have her, uh, and she's going to be involved in it. I'm sure she's going to be involved in the match. But she's going to have her version of, uh, what the hell is it called, Evolution. Uh, All female pay-per-view using NWA and other companies' female wrestlers in one giant pay-per-view. So with the affiliation that they have with AWA or AWA, AEW, and also uh, I'm sure Impact's got a plenty of females to grab from. 
along with some of the girls that they have on their roster that they're building right now, and Mickey James. It seems like they're kind of like, Mickey's like, fuck you, WWE. I'm going to do it over here with a lot of these women throughout these organizations, and it's going to be a fucking banger. So I don't know if that will happen. We'll have to see the matches that they get, but it's still cool. Mickey James coming to NWA and trying to really lead, it seems like, the women's evolution outside of the WWE, Chris. Yeah, I think it's awesome. And uh, the, the other reason I brought her up is that she's a good opponent for Camille if they want to go that route, too. The uh, the women's pay-per-view is very exciting because does that mean maybe Session Moth and NWA? I could, I could go from some Moth Martinez in this uh, Evolution pay-per-view. I don't know, man. I mean, anything's possible. She's affiliated with Ring of Honor, so, you know, if, if they really want to kind of like have a couple from here, a couple from there – Maybe have a women's championship match from the various organizations accumulate, or accumulating in, in whoever for the NWA title. Maybe you can do, if you want to do it there, you could have Deanna Perrazzo with her belt against Britt Baker with her belt. No belts on the line, but, you know, kind of like a who's a better champion. Uh, there's a lot of really, really cool things you can do within that. Thunder Rosa versus uh, Rosemary, to me, would be an awesome fucking match. I mean... I'm down. I'm completely down for that. Yeah, it's exciting stuff. And, you know, NWA not being a threat to anyone, I feel like that everyone would be willing to work out something with Corgan because they're kind of their own little niche thing. Like, they're not really on the level of Ring of Honor or MLW at the moment um, and definitely not near Dynamite or Impact or WWE. So... I feel like, you know, talent would be willing to go there and do stuff. So that I, I think it's a cool idea, especially if Mickey James is is figuring it all out and maybe even booking it. Who the hell knows? Uh, that's good shit. I mean, I'll buy it. Yep, definitely excited about that. All right, let's move away from the land of NWA and go to Monday Night Raw. Just got one thing that we got to talk about from this. It was a fine Raw. I mean, everything that's going on, like we keep on saying, with the New Day guys, and who, Kofi had an amazing match with Matt Riddle, and, all, and Team RKO, or RK Bro, or whatever the fuck it's called. That stuff has been one of the things to check out from there. Uh, Viking Raiders won a battle royal with two teams that had one person, John Morrison on one of them, since Miz is out for a while, and Lindsay Dorado on another one of them, since his and Grand Metalik's also injured. Really fucking weird. Uh, Viking Raiders won, so they're going against uh, AJ Styles and Amos. Um, the ending, though. What the fuck? I mean, I don't know. This has completely destroyed the original vision of Bray Wyatt. It just so fucking stupid. It. How are you going to get ex-NXT women's champion, one of the biggest monsters within that whole entire company, holding the title for as long as she did, being so dominating. Um, Shayna Baszler, being scared of a fucking doll. It's not Annabelle. I mean, guys, Conjuring 3 wasn't that great, so I don't know what the hell you guys are thinking trying to put this as the fucking main event, but her running away from a string swing set uh, from Miss Alexa and, and Pyro, which goes off normally at the fucking place, scaring up the ramp, going in the back, you know, barricade herself in the room and then doing the ultimate warrior at Monday Nitro and the fucking mirror thing. This is Shayna Baszler. Like, who's this helping? This is dumb. 
And, you know, it's just rumors right now. And we kind of, I, I alluded to it last week, and I, I'm sure it's all bullshit. But one of the person that might be on the chopping block because of how much they're paying him and the fact that he's been in and out has been Bray Wyatt. Are they going to really just completely go along with this with Alexa Bliss and try to act like she's not a small fucking frame woman that should not be able to beat Shayna Baszler because of spooky doll powers? Terrible. Fuck you, Monday Night Raw. That's all I got to say. Besides New Day and RKO, care less about almost all the things that's going on on it. I don't know if Rhea Ripley's a fucking heel anymore. I don't know if fucking AJ Styles is a healer baby face. I have no idea. It's all out the window. You got Charlotte, you got the New Day, and you got RK Bro. Fucking just, ugh. Yeah, it's it's fucking terrible. Um, that last segment was the drizzling shits, and I, I think you summed it up pretty well. I, I don't... The thing is, is it was the highest rated segment on the show, so they're going to keep fucking... Oh, why? <laughs> I don't know. I guess people like watching, you know, it's like watching a, a, train, a train crash or a car crash. You just can't look away, I guess. I don't know. As soon as I saw it, I kind of turned it off, and then I listened to a bunch of recaps. I, I, just, I'm, I didn't care for the Bray stuff, so I definitely don't care for the female version of Bray stuff with small, little, tiny Alexa Bliss acting like a, a, a eight-year-old. Like, there is nothing in this for me to like. Um, and I definitely don't like Shayna Baszler, who is supposed to be your Ronda Rousey. Like... You know, Bobby Lashley kind of filled the shoes of Brock, right? That's what Shayna Baszler is supposed to be. And somehow they fuck, <laughs> fucked that up for the past year and a half. And two years, I guess. Whenever she came up to the main roster. Uh, this is just embarrassing. Like, uh, I think Brian Alvarez said, if they gave me the choice to just not be on TV or do this, I would just not be on TV. <laughs> so maybe Shayna should just be like, no, nah, I'm good. Because... <laughs> she's going to be remembered for the rest of her career doing this stupid thing. It's like one of those things you never get over, like selling to a doll. Like people are going to be like, yeah, but remember that time she sold to a doll? Like it took Mark Henry forever to get away from the sexual chocolate stuff. And they had to book him like an absolute fucking monster to do that. And I just never see that happening in WWE. Like they've killed her and no one cares. Um, it's just this should not be in the main event in general. Like, I don't know. And, and like, who's gonna if if she's scared of the doll? Is everyone scared of the doll? Like, are they gonna start making Charlotte Flair sell to this fucking thing? Because that don't if you, don't you put that bad juju out there, Chris? Don't you do it? Because <laughs> I swear to God, if the queen shows up and starts acting like she's scared of a doll, I'm fucking I'm gonna set a TV on fire. <laughs> like. Uh, I'm gonna show up and join retro. Was it retribution or whatever, and just start glitching the show? Oh God! All right, so let's get the fuck out of Raw. Let's go and talk about something I liked a lot more. NXT. Um, Oni Lorcan and Austin Theory had the best match that no one's talking about. Uh, they had an awesome, hard-hitting match. I thought it was way more competitive than I thought it was gonna be. Um. I like what they're doing, and, set, and we'll, we're going to go over the, the NXT actual matches in a second for TakeOver. That's tomorrow night. We're recording on a Saturday. Uh, but my biggest thing that I pulled from this, I mean, is Adam Cole, even though this is a go-home show, he's holding the title, standing strong. That usually is not a thing that they do. 
could they get the title off Karrion Cross and put it on Adam Cole by having this five-way match? It seems like a lot, but these guys specifically, maybe Karrion not so much compared, but with Adam Cole, with your Kyle O'Reilly, with your Pete Dunne, with your Johnny Gargano, um, I think this is still going to be a very fast-paced, fun match uh, with all of them. And uh, maybe, maybe it's not Johnny Gargano. I don't remember exactly. No, it was, yeah, because... Yeah, yeah, because it's five-way. All right, anyways, I'm, I'm doing my math wrong in my head. Sorry, people. But I am still scared about that. I think they're going to pull it off. I remember when they somehow pulled off that, like, four or five-way fucking Iron Man match that ended up being a really good match. So I'm just going to pass it to you, Chris. I mean, we'll, we'll break down the pay-per-view. But uh, Adam Cole looked pretty damn good. I mean, after everyone kicked the shit out of each other, he just came out of nowhere after insulting Karrion Cross again on the Titan Tron and then just came back and just... Knocked his ass out right at the end, held the title. Does that signify Adam Cole's definitely not winning that title? I think so, but he's not taking the pin either, and that's why they're doing this multi-man match. Karrion Cross made everyone look like a bunch of fucking geeks, though. He beat the shit out of everyone at the end of the show. Uh, except Besides Ray. Adam Cole. <laughs> so that would lead me to believe that he's getting the pin on someone like who, I don't know who he's going to get the pin on, but Karrion Cross is going to end up winning this match and then setting up for Cole and him in the future. I, I just, it doesn't, it seems like the wrong time to take the belt off cross and, and they, you know, they want to protect Adam Cole, but I don't, I guess if he's going to stay there, you might as well give him the belt back at this point. Right. I mean, I think that maybe Finn, but more so Adams kind of like what we we're talking about. And what we have talked about with Jay Lethal towards Ring of Honor, what, you know, Roman is to SmackDown, Okada, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's if, if you're going to have it on someone, then you need it to be transitional or also for a long period of time, Adam Colbebe. But um, let's – all right, so there was a press conference. I want to go over this quote that everyone has been talking about that uh, was a part of the press conference for Triple H for this takeover yesterday. And Dave Metzler asked a question, uh, you know, just, just a flat-out question about how the use of talent, and if you look at them a couple of years back, you had guys that were just as good as some of the guys that are in NXT right now or have been in the last couple of years, but, like, when they went, you know, to the next level, uh, whether it be a Drew McIntyre or Kevin Owens or Charlotte Flair, they were excelled and they were they they were done well, but now it seems like, it's this weird time where if you don't really know now that they're on USA, if they're developmental or if they're actually their own thing, but still sending people up because you have guys that are incredible, like an Adam Cole, like a Gargano, like a Ciampa that are still there and want to seem to want to stay there. So what exactly is um, NXT uh, and why is it that sometimes and more often than not, as of lately in the last couple of years, it doesn't work out for those wrestlers. And Triple H started off, and I'll kind of like sum up what he said, but he was basically like saying, like, look, um, I think we are our own entity, but we are still somewhat of a, you know, a feeder system. He, he compared to college football. He goes, I think a lot of people, myself included, consider college football and a lot of college sports better than the pros, uh, just from the passion and whatnot, um, or at least on a competitive level with it. He, he said, uh, you know, sometimes people go up and they just don't work out but that were amazing in, in college, uh, that you thought there was no way that that wasn't, you know, 
it wasn't going to work out. It's just a different beast. It's a different type of thing. And then he went into this rant. It's so funny to me sometimes how in our business everyone is so worried about where someone is going to go or land or how this is going to play out long term in the future. How about watch it? So you like it or, or, or you do not like it? Do you have to say, I like it, but I like this other thing more? Just watch it or don't. And stop trying to figure out where, where everything's going. Fans ruin their own stuff half the time trying to figure out where everything goes and why it's going there and how. And then trying to pick up their phone and search for the things to find out so that it can ruin them and there there isn't a surprise when it happens. I, I, I just don't understand that. And he kind of went more into it a little bit after that. And pass it back to Dave and Dave was like literally laughing like, okay, well, uh, I guess that that that's it. And then that was that was the conversation. So I don't know if those are some shots at the end about the dirt sheets. Sounds like it could be about fans wanting to have stuff ruined for them. I understand that Triple H is going to be defensive about this. Um, and I know for a fact he's not happy with a lot of the talent that he sends to fucking Vince uh, and they don't do a goddamn thing. Or like an Aleister Black who, you know, might be coming back to WWE. I think it's, I think all those rumors are bullshit. Who knows? But I, there's no way that he doesn't. But at the same time, it's not like he can fucking say that. So do I think that this answer was defensive? Yeah. Do I think that uh, he was kind of being a little bit full of shit? Yeah. Uh, do I think that he kind of had to? He can't be like, no, I'm unhappy. Like, there's there's not going to be a – he's not going to bury Vince on a phone call about he's unhappy about talent going up. So, I mean, I don't know – what the hell he says that's going to be uh, the better thing, but this is this is bullshit. I mean, it's it really is. Well, what, what, what do you think, Chris? I mean, I think he should have just pointed to the successful stories that have came out of NXT, honestly, and, uh, you know, point to Drew McIntyre, who's at the top of the card, right? And be like, look, not everyone works out. Like, I think he should have just left it with the original statement instead of, doubling down and burying the fans for wanting to talk about wrestling, essentially like the whole point of wrestling. If the storylines are good, you're supposed to be excited for them. You're supposed to talk to your friends about them. You're supposed to want to know more. In fact, if you're not doing that, that's why people aren't tuning in to watch fucking raw. Like if you don't have any reason that we care about these characters or want to know what's going on, or, or, you know, if we're not upset about someone getting booked a certain way, that means that like they don't mean anything to us. Right. Like when's the last time we talked about Riker, for instance? Who? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. You get what I'm saying? Like, if you don't give us a reason to care about them, if they're just a guy that has matches, it, like fans aren't going to give a shit. The things that fans give a shit about are the people that you built and made really great uh, in NXT going to the main roster and then just getting shoved aside to see the same old, same old with a, a heavyweight top loaded brawl more so than SmackDown. Um, and an aging roster. So, yeah, people are going to be fucking frustrated. <laughs> I don't think that's a fan thing. That's not a negative thing. I think, you know, the best thing you can do is embrace the fans. And you can't give the fans what they want all the time just because it doesn't make sense booking-wise a lot of times. But you shouldn't completely go the opposite way and just say, hey, if you like it, you like it. Because you know what? You want everyone to like it so that you're pulling $5 million like you were in the 90s, not 
fucking 1.6 million on TV for Raw, which is like the sixth or seventh lowest rated Raw of all time. That's not the number you fucking want. (laughs) So to have that kind of response and uh, it just comes off idiotic. And I know it's only because Dave got through on that fucking call line, which apparently you just have to stack up for. It's kind of like showing up early, like Black Friday is what Dave Meltzer was saying. It's just like a, a straight call log. So it's not like they ignore Dave. It's just whoever gets there first. They take the calls in order, apparently. And uh, I don't know if that just pissed Triple H off or what. But they like doubling down, and they've done this in the past where they just accuse the fans of the problem. That's <laughs> shitting on your fans is not going to make them care more about your product, dude. No, and I agree with you. I wonder if there's a level of. He just seemed, throughout the whole thing, some of the answers he was giving some people, like, he kind of went on a rant about comparisons, because someone said, like, you know, you're modeling MSK, is there a certain, you know, they're a great babyface team, is there a certain team that you kind of equivalent that to, uh, that you're looking at, you know, when modeling them for your NXT product, and he's I don't understand all these comparisons, where everyone wants, God, he would hate me, and he ended up saying, like, yeah, like a Hardee's or a Rock and Roll Express, and so, well, that's... I mean, that's all you really have to say, but it seems like he's defensive, man, and maybe he's defensive, even though he's not admitting it, because of some of the shit that's going on with his wrestlers, like Keith Lee, where the fuck has he been? Shinsuke, who's fuck fighting for a fucking crown in a five, uh, mat or no, no, a fit, yeah, yeah, best out of five matches with fucking Baron Corbin, or, or so many others of his dudes. Damian Priest, the best thing that they did was put him with a celebrity. You know what I'm saying? They just fucking got rid of Aleister Black, and apparently Triple H contacted him immediately afterwards and had a long talk with them. There's no level of frustration with what happens to your talent once it goes to the main roster, Hunter. I know you can't say it, but give me a fucking break. But, like, why can't he say it? He owns a good majority of the company. He should be able to say whatever the fuck he wants. Was he going to piss off Daddy Vince? It's not like Vince is going to fire him. That's a good point. Like, grow a fucking set, dude. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Like, Dave asked him a legitimate question, and he gave a bullshit answer and then buried the fans. Um, and the rest of the stuff, like, it's all, like, most of these questions are fluffy. Like, they don't want to piss Triple H off or something. So it was refreshing to hear someone ask a a hard-hitting question like that, which, you know, I kind of wish you would get, like, a Lance Storm on the call. <laughs> or, you know, since he doesn't work there anymore, which he would never do, or, or you know... Some of these other media outlets, like, has Wade Keller, does Wade Keller ever ask a question on these fucking things? No, it's really weird. So I think it's just, you know, you get a lot of the cushy media asking him questions. So when he got a hard question, he just, it pissed him off. And he definitely has to be frustrated, man. Um, And it wasn't too long ago that he was actually demoted, if you remember that, or lost his, whatever his previous title was. So I don't know. I I mean, NXT is still a great show, but I agree with you. It has to be frustrating to build these people up and then send them like Shayna Baszler, build her up and then send her to Raw. And then she's in a fucking tag team with Nia and the tag division has like two teams. Um, That and they started sending writers to NXT. So I'm sure there's a level of frustration. I just, you know, don't take it out on the fans. It's not the fans fault. All right, well, if you analyze what he said, though, do you think that fans nowadays, I mean, it's kind of like, yeah. The diehard fans, we kind of want to know all the details. Does that kind of ruin the magic of wrestling in a way? Because I've heard Jim Cornette bitch about the same shit, how it kind of diminishes kayfabe even to a level where 
You just want to know what the fucking wrestlers are doing in their normal life by looking at their Instagrams, and you want to know the spoilers of stuff that's going to happen a month in advance if you can find it. I don't know that people want to know spoilers. I think people talk about it just like they talk about The Walking Dead or comic movies. Like people want prediction. Like people want to make their own predictions and have fun talking about it. It's called being or behind the scenes stuff with sports, NFL, like finding out trades and stuff like that, or you know what coach is about to get fired or whatnot. Yeah, it's. I think it's just general conversation. I mean, there are people out there that do look up the spoilers for tape shows and shit. But like me and you are pretty diehard and. We're also like not wanting to see the spoilers before we see the event. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like the general fan, you know, when they research stuff and look at stuff like that, it's because they actually care. Like they want to have those conversations. And, and and like I said, I mean, even if you're talking about something like a soap opera, there's stuff like soap opera digest where they read in, you know, the background of these people not liking each other and trying to predict what's going to happen on the show going forward. It's, it's not just wrestling. It's, it's everything. That's just the world. It's the world now. <laughs> you should accept it. Like it, it, the way he put it was like fans should just watch whatever we put on TV, and if you don't like it, I guess just don't watch it. Which is like a very dumb thing to say, because fans are the reason you guys are in fucking business. You shouldn't forget that you're supposed to be entertaining us as fans, not just putting on a show to make content. Yeah, I agree with you. But one thing that Triple H does right is uh, put together pay-per-views, and we'll judge once we see it tomorrow night what we think about the next takeover in your house, the second in your house event they've done. Uh, Todd Pettengale's coming back, so they're really going for that retro concept once again. I really enjoyed the one last year. This one's actually going to have more audience and attendance, uh, so it should be a good show. Uh, let's just go over the matches. We have Bronson Reed, the North American champion, and MSK, the tag champions, going against Legado del Fantasma, Santos Escobar, Joaquin Wilde, and Raul Mendoza. Uh, big stipulation on this. Uh, kind of a first time I think I've ever heard of this happening. The NXT North American Championship and the tag championships are on the line. So if del or Legado del Fantasma wins... Santos Escobar will become the new North American champion, and Joaquin Wilde and Raul Mendoza become the new tag champions. Part of me thinks, hey, most of these guys just got the belt like a month and a half ago with Bronston Reed and MSK. But MSK is going to be there for a while, so I really honestly think that they might have Legado del Fantasma win so they can put all the titles on them in one transaction, and then if now Bronson Reed or MSK especially can just win it back eventually, but actually give this heel group a lot of belts and make them be more prestigious. And I also like the idea, not that like I love Kushida as a cruiserweight champion, but I like that Escobar is elevating. Like he can go for the North American champion. I think that might happen. That is actually my prediction, Chris. Am I crazy for thinking that? Who do you think is going to win all the belts in this match? It's it's a toss-up, and I hate these kind of matches where it's a three-way for the all the titles. You know what I mean? Because, like, it, it, I I just – it makes sense if you're a heel group, but, like, if you're a babyface group, why the hell would you want this match? Because uh, <laughs> this is going to be a no-DQ match, right, based on the, the rules of a three-man tag team, I'm assuming. 
Let me look it up real quick. Yeah, Winners takes but, all six-man tag team match. I think it's just three on three. I don't know if that means – yeah, I think that would mean the rules are done. But there's tags still. I don't know how the fuck it works. I have no idea. Yeah, but either way, I mean, it just makes the baby faces look kind of dumb that they would even get put in this match. And Did Regal make this match? I can't remember. Or did yeah, just, he came just... out all frustrated. No, that's right. They're they're basically calling him out and calling him pussies. So they're like, fuck it. We'll put the titles on the line. You know, dumb baby face. Concept like, we, we could beat you. Yeah. I just don't understand why Bronson Reed gives a shit about the tag belt as the North American champion. But yeah, whatever. I mean, this match is what it's, it's, is what it's going to be. I'm sure it'll be a good match. I could easily see what you said happen. I don't really have a bold prediction. It could go either way for me. Um, if it's me, I'd keep the belt on Bronson Reed if I was booking it personally, but I could see what you're saying. And then maybe Kushida drops the cruiserweight title and they go that way where he's chasing the North American title. I don't understand why he won the cruiserweight championship after you had him beating a lot of your heavyweights. Uh, and he went on that undefeated streak, but that's just a, that's a different story for a different day. I also don't understand why Kushida is not on this fucking card and you're not having a cruiserweight match. Um, or why this pay-per-view just came out of nowhere and it was booked like two weeks in advance. It's because they're having, they're having another one at SummerSlam. So this is kind of like their, their small little one, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I feel the same way though. Very strange. Yeah. I mean, two weeks is like, they were at a full sprint to even build a card for this pay-per-view. And that's why a lot of these matches probably don't necessarily make the best sense. Well, but, and uh, not only that, so they, they set up Grizzled Young Vets against Ciampa and, and Thatcher. They're both tied in matches, so this is going to be a rubber match. And I think they're having a Tornado tag match, which would be a basically two-on-two hardcore match. But instead of doing it on this, it's next week on NXT. Like, I was like, what? That's a match to put on this? Like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to be negative about this card, but this is one of the weaker takeover cards I've ever seen. Well, the more the, this one's a little bit underwhelming, but I hope that it's a good showing, at least of Zia Lee. But this could be the opening match or the breather after the big opening match, which takeover tends to do a lot. Mercedes Martinez against Zia Lee. It's probably going to be short. Uh, Zia's probably going to get a lot of advances. I guess they could have her go over Mercedes, but I, I, I don't know. I just feel like Mercedes Martinez is going to beat her. But this is probably the one, if I'm being honest, that I have the le- the least amount of investment in out of any of the others. What do you think, Chris? I agree with you. I think it's just going to be a TV. It's like a TV match, essentially. I don't understand why it's on the pay-per-view. All right. So then we have I'll, – I'll go over the women's match. Uh, Raquel Gonzalez, who has obviously Dakota Kai in her corner, going against Ember Moon with Shotzi Blackheart in her corner for the NXT Women's Championship. Ember Moon's going to lose. It's another notch on Ra- Raquel Gonzalez's, uh, you know, wall of, 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 of opponents that she's beaten. But Ember Moon's looked really good lately. She's looked really crisp. Uh, and she's been whooping ass. So I think this is going to be a very this, – this could be a really good match between the two of them. But I don't see Ember Moon winning at all. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I think Raquel is going to retain, but it should be a good match. Like you said, I mean, Ember Moon's been great in the ring since coming back from her injury. It'll be fun to watch. Not necessarily stoked about Dakota Kai and Shotzi running around as distractions in the match, but it it should be fun. I think I've said this to you before, but does Ember Moon have one of the best working punches in the business? It's pretty good, man. Trained by Booker T. 
She fucking just nails people. <laughs> or it looks like she does at least, right? Yeah. Uh it's yeah, it's it's pretty damn good. Maybe the best uh best of the female roster for sure. At least in WWE, I would say so. All right, let's go to the next match. I'm just saying this could be for entertainment value and also cuz it's a ladder match, the best match of the night to me, but a ladder match for the vacant million dollar championship and I'm going to upset everyone by what I'm about to say, but I think, and I'll explain after Chris goes, I think Cameron Grimes is going to lose. I think LA Knight's going to get that title and become the new million dollar man with DiBiase in his corner with the million dollar belt. And I'll explain in a second. Chris, what do you think? I actually think Cameron Grimes is going to win to not upset people, but I think this might be the only happy outcome this could possibly be the only send you home happy outcome of the entire event. Cause the fans are going to be clearly behind Adam Cole in the, in the main event. Um, and I don't see him walking out as an NXT champion. So I, you know, if you're sending, if you're having one go home, happy match, it'd be Cameron Grimes getting this title. And I'm just not sold on the LA night stuff. It's been fun, but they can continue that feud, you know, going forward. I thought it was funny that they said that the, they asked if the ladder was made of solid gold. I'm like, you couldn't climb a solid gold ladder and fall apart. Also, it'd be worth more. It'd be worth more than the fucking title you were chasing after. My whole thing is, LA Knight. I think has gotten to a certain level. I think he is a good uh, in-ring wrestler, very solid. Uh, you know, nothing too special or crazy or fluidy, but you know, just a good, solid in-ring worker. Um, I think he's good on the mic. The moniker, the million dollar man, I think will do more. If the moniker, Cameron Grimes made it sound like you get the fucking moniker, you're going to be the new million dollar man with the belt when he was on Busted Open. So unless he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, I'm going to go by what he's telling. I just think that that could actually help out elevate LA Knight. Cameron Grimes, I don't need, I don't think he needs it. I think that he's actually doing his best character work right now. He gets a loss, then he can avenge it and then beat him at the fucking SummerSlam one. I actually think this concept, I know as silly as it sounds, and being there with Ted DiBiase might raise Eli Drake slash L.A. Knight's stock. And that's why I could see him winning, especially if Ted DiBiase helps, uh, you know, L.A. Knight win because he doesn't think Cameron Grimes is worthy enough. I think Cameron Grimes is doing good without having to be the million-dollar champion is what I'm saying. But that's, that's just me. Yeah, but I mean, these two are going to be locked up into a feud regardless, right, going forward. And for me, it's like if you give it to Cameron Grimes and he gets the moniker of the Million Dollar Man, maybe you can kind of get him a little bit away from as much comedy as he's been doing. Because I feel like he has a higher ceiling than L.A. Knight does at this point in Eli Drake's career. Um, that's just me. I It could go either way. I, I You know, I, I tend to agree with you, too. I mean, it, it's not going to hurt L.A. Knight. But the way they, they shot the video packages for the NXT we watched this previous week, L.A. Knight's not a millionaire, right? <laughs> and he's kind of, it seemed like he was renting cars and, and like maybe paying ladies to hang out with him and stuff. And they kind of showed you the opposite of Cameron Grimes when they did his video package. So I don't know. It's Either way, it's a fun storyline. Should be a decent match. I, I don't expect this to be like a five-star match or anything, but it, it's it'll be fun. And once I think again, it'll be the most entertaining, not not the best in ring work. Do we have to have a fucking ladder match on every takeover? This is for a prestigious belt, 
Chris. Okay, this for the million dollar championship that was held by such people as well, only Ted DiBiase and Virgil, but still. Uh, Didn't Austin hold it for a bit? Oh yeah, never mind. Austin did hold it. Holy shit, I forgot. Probably the most prestigious. No offense, <laughs> yeah. <to> Ted. <laughs> yeah, I think Austin holding it is the most. Well, Ted was pretty great too, but. Ted DiBiase is someone that never really gets talked about when people talk about great wrestlers. Um, but holy shit, like Ted DiBiase, especially early in his career, was a fucking great worker. Yeah, Dude. I'd recommend anyone check out some of his matches if you can find them on YouTube or Daily Motion or on the network, wherever, of him and Jim Duggan in the early 80s. They had some fucking awesome matches, just brawls. But Ted DiBiase is a great technical worker. Definitely agree with you. Very sad on because of his persona that was great, was fucking amazing in WWE. I mean, he was up there as far as biggest names in, in WWE. Obviously, you had your Hogans, your Savages, your Pipers, and whatnot, Andre, but Ted was always in the mix, man, just like Jake Roberts almost. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Just wanted to point that out, because I, I feel like we talk about a bunch of classic wrestlers, and we don't really bring up Ted DiBiase that much. No, one of the best heels of all time, too. All right, so the final, the final, the fatal five-way match for the NXT Championship. We got Karrion Cross uh, against Kyle O'Reilly, against Adam Cole, against Johnny Gargano, against Pete Dunne. Um, I'm sure people like there could be Oni Lorcan there, Austin Theory, um, Scarlett probably would be there, but you know, five-way, no, no uh, DQ style match. I mean, it, this has to be Karrion Cross like, conquering everyone. If the only person I could see getting a win... Hey, as much as I love to say, like, fuck it, if Pete, Pete Dunn wins, and I'm like, okay, well, then I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. I'll, I'll do that. That's fine. But if I'm being honest, I don't want to see Kyle with the damn belt. Not from all these guys. I like Kyle a lot, but not more so than an Adam Cole or Karrion Cross or even a Pete Dunn. I don't want to see Gargano get the damn title either. So, to me, there's... Two ways of going. Karrion Cross murders everyone at some point and finally pins someone that's not Adam Cole or Adam Cole wins. Oh! You okay, you buddy? Think? Yeah, my cat started puking on my bed, so that was fun. Sorry. That's That sucks. She did not She did not agree with your predictions. She's a big Pete Dunne fan. <laughs> she hated it. <laughs> Uh, I, I agree with you. I mean, it either has to be Adam Cole or Karrion Cross, and I feel like if you're going to put it on Adam Cole, you do it in a singles match for the title, not in this weird five-way. Uh, so I'm assuming Karrion Cross is going to retain, probably pinning Gargano. So Gargano's going to take the, uh, the L, you think, out of all of them? Yeah, I mean, he just seems like the most that it's not going to hurt, really, especially with his storyline still being tied to Candice LeRae and kind of all the other bullshit. Um, so I could see him taking taking the loss here. But uh, I would be completely fine with Pete Dunne winning it. The only problem is he would be a, he would definitely be a transitional champion. They would just pull it right off of him like a month or two later, unfortunately. Well, you know, I'm going to do the Pete Dunne face with the, the hands up like, huh. Whatever. If you were to become champ even for two seconds, I'm down for it. But, uh, yeah, that is TakeOver. I guess we should move on. I'm looking forward to this for tomorrow night. Uh, next up, we have a pretty cool concept that happened on Impact. 
So basically, they announced two uh, two matches for Kenny. Uh, the first one for this event against all odds that's going to be tonight, since we're recording on Saturday. Um, with Moose, who's the number one contender. And since Moose and Sammy were having a match to find out the number one contender and Kenny abruptly screwed it up, Sammy's barred from ringside, but so are the Good Brothers for this match. So it's just Moose and Kenny one-on-one. They're going to have this at Daly's Place. So they're going to have an audience. And I don't know if this means that this was taped at Daly's Place and they're going to play it during it or if this is actually the whole event is at Daly's Place. They didn't really specify. I'm hoping the whole thing. I'd love to see Impact get the crowd uh, from Daly's Place for their event Saturday night. That would really add something to it, especially with Kenny performing against Moose in it. But the winner has to go against Sammy Callahan in a hardcore street fight at Slammiversary. So Kenny, I think, is going to have two fun fucking matches because he's going through Moose by hook or by crook. Maybe the Young Bucks get involved since they're not barred from ringside. Something happens. Um, some type of distraction. Kenny gets that title back. And then Slammiversary should be a lot of fun against Callahan. Uh, but we'll go over the pay-per-view matches themselves. Dude, another weekend with two double pay-per-views. Last weekend, NWA and New Japan. For two of the most prestigious titles in the in the world. This week, we got Impact and NXT, Chris. There's too much wrestling. Yeah, this weekend should be really exciting, though. Um, I, From what I've heard, Dane, on the Daily's Play stuff, it is just the main event. So the rest of the show will take place as normal outside Boo. of the main event. Yeah, I, I kind of got excited when you sent me that, too, and I read more into it, and apparently it is just the main event. But it should be a good main event, and Kenny probably retains with some fuckery by the Young Bucks would be my guess, since they're not banned from ringside. And it happens to be at Daly's Place, which would make sense, right? A moose. Um, and then Frankie Kazarian probably shows up to, to ward off the Young Bucks, but... Still good enough for for your boy Kenny Omega to get the win. I will say this. I heard Dave talking about it. Kenny Omega's got some tailbone, and he's still favoring that torn labrum. So I don't know that he's going to last all the way till the end of the year with the, with these titles. So one of these things are going to fall, and I'm assuming it's going to be the AAA title first to Andrade. Man, it- I mean, you would think that he would lose the AEW title first and then lose the other ones, but it kind of makes sense in the storyline that those are two shots at his ego if he loses back-to-back at the opposite company's biggest pay-per-views of the year. You know, you have Triple Mania uh, for the Mega Championship, and then before that, you know, next month, Slammiversary, against Sammy Callahan, something that he's completely out of his element. I would assume that, you know, especially how the audience has been handling him, Mr. Adam Page could be our champion sometime soon in the future, uh, maybe at uh, All Out. And this is a breakdown of Kenny because he loses the other titles that really kind of like, I don't know, messes with his head. The fall of Kenny Omega. I, I could see that, and especially because Kenny Omega is really great at acting paranoid and being kind of all over the place. Like one title falls, and then he just starts freaking out, and then the next title falls, etc. Um, 
I could see that. I would love to see Eddie Kingston get the belt personally, especially because he's been oh, battling yeah. Kenny Omega and the crew forever, and and now he's got he's seemingly in good good order with the Dark Triangle, especially after their match on Dynamite, which we'll talk about later. But uh, good shit. I mean, there's a lot of places they can go with this. I I do expect Andrade to win the belt at Triple Mania. They just need that belt back there, honestly. <laughs> Like, it's been gone for, for what seems like forever. Um, so, yeah, I, I do. And, and Andrade is doing an interview on Dynamite next week, apparently. So that'll be fun. I wonder if they're going to sit him down with uh, Ross. I hope they do it with Jim Ross as opposed to Tony Schiavone. I think that would be very interesting. He's doing uh, what JR. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's that's great. And I don't see Moose winning here, and I don't see Sammy Callahan winning here. And I, the match does favor Sammy Callahan, but so did all those Moxley matches, right? And the, the problem with it favoring Sammy Callahan means it's no DQ. So you're going to have the entire club be able to run in and do fuckery. That's, that's a good point. So, yeah, tonight, I don't think Moose is going to win, but it will be interesting. Slammiversary next month. Um, if Sammy can overcome basically the whole entire elite, uh, or the click two or whatever the hell you can call it. But, um, let's, let's move on to the actual matches themselves. So this is going to be one of them street fight, Sammy Callahan and Tommy dreamer, Sammy, like I said, banned from ringside for the main event. Uh, they're going against the good brothers. This is going to be a fun match. I love seeing Tommy Dreamer in matches, even though obviously he's been broken down a lot uh, recently. Tommy almost, uh, he almost thought about quitting uh, wrestling. He decided he did pretty much everything he wanted to do in his career. He really loved producing and being more creative with it. His body was shot out. And he also just thought that he was kind of a shell of himself. He's talking about this on Busted Open with Dave LaGreca. And he went to a event and Boogie Woogie Jimmy Garvin, uh, who he's good friends with, was wrestling, who's in his fucking 70s, and still had a great match with someone that it completely inspired him and put some more drive into him wrestling for the future. So this was one of the matches he committed to afterwards. So he's going with Sammy, which they usually were enemies, but they're the enemy of my enemy is my friend sort of situation to go against these evil outsiders, if you will between Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson in the street fight. I think the bad guys are probably going to win, unfortunately. Tommy's probably going to be the weak link because that's what they usually do with him. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. It, it's, it wouldn't make sense for Anderson and Gallows to lose here. Uh, but it, wouldn't, it might make sense if Sammy Callahan just goes batshit crazy after the match on Anderson and Gallows. I could see that happening. Uh, but yeah, I, I see them losing and that, that was really great. I recommend everyone go listen to the Tommy dreamer interview from busted open. Cause it was really, really cool hearing that story. And, and just a couple months ago, they were talking about how bad Tommy dreamer had COVID where he couldn't even sleep in bed. He had to like lean up against the wall and try to sleep and stuff like after recovering from it. So it's, it's nice to see Tommy feeling better and at least, you know, wanting to have a match and being re-inspired by wrestling. Always beautiful. Following his uh, his uh, favorite wrestler's footsteps in uh, Mr. Terry Funk, as always. He'll probably be fighting until he's like in his 80s. Yeah, it's about time for Terry Funk to make a comeback and wrestle Tommy Dreamer in a retirement retirement match, I guess. 
I'm calling out. Damn you, Great Muda. I want your GCH champion. I'm obviously kidding and uh, sending Terry Funk some well wishes because I know that he had recently posted that he wasn't feeling well and asked people to stop sending him 8x10s and he was tired and too old to be signing shit. So, guys, stop sending, stop sending Terry 8x10s, <laughs> please. Yeah, leave him alone if, you know, he likes to interact with his Twitter. So just, uh, yeah, no more 8x10s. All right, Jordan Grace with Rachel Ellering in her corner against Tennille Dashwood with Caleb and a K in her corner. It should be a good match. Uh, I really like the technical work that uh, Tennille Dashwood does, and Jordan Grace is a fucking just a powerhouse. So I feel um, that Jordan Grace is probably going to win, but it should be good. What do you think, Chris? I agree with you. I think Jordan Grace is going to win, and I'm actually super high on her. I think she's uh, one of the more underrated female wrestlers in the business right now. Me too, man. Um, Big Mama Thick. All right, Fire and Flava. Kira Hogan and Tasha Steeles, the knockout women's champions, tag team champions, I should say, against Kimberly and Susan with Deanna Perrazzo in their corner. I love... Uh, everything that that uh, Sue Young, Susan, Susie, she's so great with these different style of performances. Susan is obviously uh, a takeoff of being a Karen, if you will. Um, I know that you don't like the whole concept because Chris has a lovely wife named Karen, but you know uh, that's that's what the uh, the style of gimmick is. But they're gonna lose. There's no way Fire and Flavor are fucking losing their titles. They just got them back from Jordan Grace and. Uh, and, and Rachel Ellering. I don't see that happening. What do you think? Do you have Deanna Perrazzo winning here? Her team? No, no, no not her team, uh, Fire and Flavor. I don't think her team's going to win. I don't... I wish I would have kept up with Impact a little bit more. I, I don't want to have a strong opinion on this one, so I'll, I'll go with your best gut feel. Um, I will say Susie as a character, if you need, if you're going to continue this fucking Alexa bullshit, uh, that would be fun. <laughs> I mean, if I'm going to yeah. have to watch something ridiculous, I might as well have Susie show up and be creepy. All right. So we got a five way for number one contender impact 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 X division championship. This is probably going to be an awesome match. Uh, Petey Williams, Trey Miguel, Ace Austin. Chris Bay, and Rahit Raju. Uh, Madman Fulton will be there in the corner of Ace Austin, and uh, Shahir will be in the corner of Rahit Raju. So expect those two giant men to get involved in some way. But, I mean, this is the X Division, man. And you got a classic guy like Petey Williams in there. I feel like this is between Ace Austin and Trey Miguel. I think that Trey not going with his brothers – as part of the, the the Rascals become MSK and NXT and staying for a fair amount of money and impact, I feel like he needs to start building himself out towards a title that he has had or get into the heavyweight title picture. And Ace Austin just, I mean, he's another one of those guys that's on the cusp. I really like Chris Bay, so he's kind of like another one that I, if he wins, that's fine. I don't see Petey Williams or Rahit Raju winning this. Raju lost his title not too long ago, and Petey Williams, the legend, I think, just there to amplify and rise the stakes. What do you think, Chris? 
I'm going to give this one to Ace Austin, who's probably my favorite guy on the Impact roster. If I'm being completely honest, I just see so much upside with the guy. And he's been, I don't know if you've noticed this, but he's put on a lot of muscle and weight yep. recently. Um, I could, I, I see him winning here, probably over Petey Williams towards the end of the match would be my guess. But the, it should be a really, really fun match. The X Division is one of my favorite things to watch right now in Impact. When I do check out Impact, those are kind of the things that I tend to lean more towards. I love Ace Austin, but he makes me feel old because his two biggest influences are Amazing Red and AJ Styles. So, uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's young, though. He's fucking amazing, though, in his 20s. I mean, if it makes you feel any better, AJ's been wrestling since what, he was in WCW in 2000. And then right after that would have been uh, NWA slash Impact pay-per-views, which would have been like 2002, 2003. And that was... Well, this is going to make you feel even older now that I'm thinking about it. That was 18 years ago. Oh. Uh, uh, all right. Well, well, we'll move on so I don't have to think about that. Oh, wait. Did you did you get – you said uh, Ace Austin? So we're both pretty much on Ace Austin winning this? Yeah, I think Ace Austin has the, uh, the best shot at winning this. And like I said, it's – I kind of want to see even move out of the – the X division at some point him putting on weight, I think will, will help him in that regard. Um, but right now that, that everything runs through Kenny Omega. So it's probably better that he's in the X division right now. So I, yeah, I can see him having a run with this title for a while. All right. Rich Swan with Willie Mack in his corner going against W Morrissey, the former big Kaz. Uh, I think this is the time to shine for big Kaz to get a win over their past world heavyweight champion. Um, and just look like a badass. He actually had a really good match with Willie Mack uh, that I think ended in a DQ this last week on Impact. So looking forward to this match. He's been looking great in the ring, man, as a big man. I think he's the sleekest but still must muscular and also the fastest he's ever been. So happy for Big Cass to get off of, you know, all the, the problems that he had with depression and drug use and stuff like that. It seems like he's definitely turning himself around and partially with the help of Dime Dallas Page, which he is dating his daughter. So, um, you know, I guess DDP didn't want him to. They're from Jersey. It's a Jersey thing, you know? Speaking of a Jersey thing, does the real one show up at this pay-per-view? I mean, I would love that. I would love that. Because, <laughs> I mean, if Willie Mack's in the corner, maybe the real one shows up. Uh, nah, that's, that's all just hopes and wishes and think it would be fun to see Enzo show up. But yeah, Morsi's looked great, man. He looked like an absolute monster. The, it wasn't, I think it was last week we talked about him um, and the match he had where he's just fucking demolishing guys. He looks great right now. He's in good shape. He seems like he's, uh, he's the knee injury stuff, maybe behind him as far as I can tell in the ring, which is good. I, I assume he's going to win this match. Um, but like I said, it'd be really cool to see the real one show up. If we're talking about a Jersey thing. I didn't know he was dating DDP's daughter. That's interesting. Yep. The one that's doing the interviews in the the online after show on AEW. I forgot her name is, but yeah, they're together. Um, Violent by Design, the, ch- the tag champions, uh, Cody Deaner and Rhino, Derek Young and Joe During in their corner going against Decay, Crazy Steve and Black Tauros with Rosemary in their corner. For the Tag Team Championships, uh, this should be a fun match. I've liked how Black Tauros has uh, kind of worked out in that group. 
I'm not saying that he filled the void that Abyss definitely does, but he's been a good addition, and I've liked him since I saw him in AAA. But Violent by Design just got these titles. I don't see them leaving. I think Rhino's going to gore Crazy Steve out of his fucking boots, and one, two, three, it's over. I think that's a great prediction. They just... I, they've never really figured out how to use Crazy Steve. <laughs> Like in a in like a good singles run type of way, uh, it was great. Did we talk about this on the podcast about how Crazy Steve is like? Was it eighty five percent blind? Yeah, and is still in here having pretty good matches. That's yeah, it's it's fucking insane to me. Um, I wonder if he's the same amount of blind as Stan Hansen. Oh God! <laughs> At least he doesn't have giant lariats for fucking Vader's eye to pop out. Yeah, uh. but. But yeah, I agree with you. I feel like Rhino probably picks up the the win here. All right, so then we move on to the women's uh, knockouts championship. Deanna Peraza with Kimberly and Susan in her corner against Rosemary, Black Toros, and Crazy Steve in uh, her corner. This is going to be an awesome match. I think Rosemary is great in the ring, especially when it comes to theatrics and and, and psychology and crowd stuff. Uh, and Deanna Peraza is a great technical wrestler. That can't be said enough. But Gianna's going to retain this. I think this is another person to get over, uh, even though I love Rosemary. But uh, I just don't see Gianna Prazo losing this title anytime soon. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I agree with you on this one as well, uh, believe it or not. Just because Gianna Prazo, like Rosemary doesn't need the belt, right? And I feel like Gianna Prazo having a long run with the belt will help her overall. So I assume that she's going to retain here. And not only that, with her and Britt both online and even in uh, interviews promoting the concept of them two having a match, uh, you know, the best of champion since you're best friends in real life. I don't, I, I think that might be in the pipeline. I think that they're saying that for a reason, whether it be something that happens on dynamite or whatever. Yeah, I could easily see that. I think it'd be fun. It should be. I mean, it would be a really damn good match, right? Yep. All right, this match should be fun. Uh, Kojima is now in Impact Wrestling, and he went after Joe Doring because uh, Violent by Design was messing with Eddie Edwards and got Eddie Edwards back. So an old foe of his in All Japan, uh, past All Japan uh, champion uh, Joe Doring, uh, is going to be going against him. So these guys have worked together. Um Big fan of Kojima, man. The guy can work his ass off uh, at his age, especially. So I think that Kojima is going to win against Joe Doring. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he puts the uh, younger guy over. It just seems like these guys have had matches before in the past. So you'd probably want the baby face to win. I don't know, Chris. What do you think? Mm. Leaning towards Kojima. That's who I would want to win. Uh, he also had a really funny <laughs> tweet last night where he's like, I like American wrestling. There are many foreigners in the United States. As a Japanese, I live in this business. I want to study English more. American bread is also delicious. <laughs> that's all. Well, that's because we put sugar in a Kojima. <laughs> yeah, it was it was fucking great. I was just like, well, it looks like he is practicing English by his tweet. That's amazing. I love it. That should be a really fucking fun match, though. Um that I, I'm gonna say Kenny and Moose will probably be match of the night, but well, that X division match, 
damn it, those are going to be three good matches. I'm looking forward to all three of those. Yeah, they're really stacked towards the end of it, man. Um, I'll even put the women's match should be really good, too. But, yeah, let's get to the big one for the Impact World Championship. Kenny Omega, the champion, with Don Callis in his corner, going against Moose, who honestly, to me, should be the guy with that damn title, if Kenny doesn't have it, obviously, over Sammy, too. Um, So even if Sammy were to somehow win against Kenny in this hardcore match at Slammiversary, um, which I think is, yeah, it is before Triple Mania, and send him bad down this bad rabbit hole. Um, he's got Moose has got to get that fucking title sometime soon. I know that I'm very high on Moose, but his athleticism has gotten way better within the last couple of years. He's sleeked down and lost any ounce of fat on him. His promos have gotten better. His character, he knows who he is. He's never been the actual Impact champion. He won that TNA championship. Well, he won a match and then declared himself the TNA champion when they were having all those, those issues with Tessa uh, setting back the belt. And then he was a self-proclaimed champion. But that's it. That's that's all. And I think he's one of their biggest guys, I think, on the roster, not just height-wise. I mean, just in general. So this should be a good match. We got a little bit of a mix of this in that tag match not too long ago. And I love the interaction that Kenny had with Moose. Moose did that. Shelton Benjamin thing where he jumped up and I think did a um, oh, what the hell Spanish fly with Kenny Omega. So we've been trying some some crazy ass shit. I'm looking forward to this match, but I do feel like Don Callis will get involved or the Bucks and will cause Moose the championship. Uh, but who knows? Maybe maybe it'll be someone in Moose's past coming back for revenge. Who knows? I have no no clue. But Kenny's gonna win. What do you think, Chris? How have when's the last time you saw Kenny Omega in a match with someone as big as Moose? Uh, I guess the tallest would be Okada. I, I don't know, and he's still like what three or four inches shorter than Moose. Yeah, so like that's the thing I'm most excited about is because Moose kind of wrestles like a hoss ass style, similar to like Lashley or Lesnar. Um, obviously, he's he's agile and shit too. I'm not saying that, but it is very much a different opponent than who we normally see Omega against. So I'm just like I'm excited to see how they're going to work this match out, what the style is going to be. I'm sure it's going to be a good match because I think Moose has improved so much over the past five years of where he was when I first saw him in Impact. But like, I don't know that I've ever seen Kenny wrestle anyone like Moose and the way Moose works in the ring. I'm sure he has. Because uh, Kenny's had like a bazillion fucking matches, but that to me is going to be really, really exciting. It's going to—it's cool that it's at Daly's place. I do think it's going to be a fuckery finish, like you were alluding to. But just seeing the structure of the match and seeing how Kenny is going to set up this match and and how how Moose and Kenny are going to set up this match—that's the the big intriguing part to me. Because you know, down the road, what if you get like Kenny Omega versus Wardlow, for instance? Yeah, this might be like a teaser for something like that. So or Lance Archer. Yeah, well, he's probably wrestled Lance before. Maybe we're just forgetting. Yeah. Oh, Maybe yeah, that's G1 right. They've been in the same something. G1 tournaments, yeah. But for, I always forget that he was in New Japan for a long time. But Lance also works completely different than, like, Moose. Moose is kind Moose of more of like a hoss. Yeah, he's just more of like a hoss. So it's going to be interesting to see. Moose is like if Shelton Benjamin was the size of Bobby Lashley. <laughs> That's that's good. Yeah, that's I could see that. I could see that. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think if you know if you take Kenny Omega out of the picture, Moose should be the champion right now. I think he might yeah, be the best heavyweight they have. And I and I like what you're saying because it it does make a lot of sense. This will be one of the first times, as at least as Kenny Omega as an AW champion, where he's the heel champ, but he's in peril the whole entire time because he's going against someone that should be able to physically dominate him. So it's not going to be like just a an easy win like he's probably considered. Adam Page is pretty tall too, but but you know Page or or Orange Cassidy or Pac or whoever he's beaten in the past. Yeah, I mean like we. You put like Moose next to Kenny Omega, there's a huge, you know, pretty big size difference, right? Yep. So it, it's just going to be interesting to see how he works the match. I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be really, really good. I'm just, like I said, the, I guess the last time I saw Kenny work anyone like this is Lance Archer. And Lance Archer doesn't really work like his size, if that makes sense. No, he does some, well, I mean, it's Lucha Libre, but it's, it's, Undertaker inspired, but like those high spots that he goes for is pretty fucking gnarly. Um, let's go over the stuff from last night. I was able to stay up and watch most of it. Chris, are you are you proud of me? I am. I actually watched it last night as well. I didn't have to wake up this morning and try to cram it before the uh, episode. I, I caught SmackDown in in the uh, Dynamite. You should be proud of me. Usually, that's a Chris has to wake up at eight and drink a fuck ton of coffee before the show. I'm proud of you. I really am. Well, SmackDown, I'll just kind of like accumulate a lot of the uh, the highlights or stuff that I, I liked. Um, I mean, we're going to be talking about Roman Reigns and the uh, everything that's going on with Jimmy coming out. I loved how they were in the back in their office starting it off. And Roman Reigns is like, Jay, what the hell's going on with your brother? And, you know, Paul's there. And then Jimmy comes out and both Paul – and friggin' Roman, look at the TV and then look at Jay like, what the hell, dude? And he's just sitting there like, fuck my life, fuck my life. His brother comes down there, talks about Roman. The relationship that they always brought up um, in the past, you know, they had like a little mini documentary with the Usos that I definitely recommend. It's on the network or maybe it's not on the cock. But they had it on there about their upbringing. Um since Jay was only, even though it was only like by a couple minutes, he was always kind of determined the little brother between the two twins. And that's kind of the camaraderie that Roman was older than them, but Jimmy was kind of like, you know, second in line and Jay was the last one. So it's really a fight, Chris, between the two of them of this is my brother, this is my, my best friend, my cousin you know, over who's the best. And I love that Jimmy never, ever backed down to Roman Reigns, even getting in his face and saying, you want to fight? You want to do this? And Roman flipping it so amazingly. And it's like, you're my brother. I mean, you're my cousin, man. We're family. This is not about fighting, dude. This is about being the one that provides for the family. Going back, trying to pull back the layers of being sort of a baby face, but it's all bullshit. It's all manipulation. And I just thought everything was excellent. This is obviously going to accumulate, I think, with Jay getting told by Roman and finally doing it, beating the hell out of his brother in a match between the two of them. But we'll go over the stuff with him and Ray at the end of it. But I loved, and I continue to love this dynamic. It is honestly my favorite storyline in pro wrestling right now. 
Well, my favorite storyline in pro wrestling, if Okada won the title, would have been that. But yes, this is my <laughs> favorite storyline in pro wrestling. It's so great. And and like you said, it was the way that he flipped it. And, and you know that they write his promos. And it's like, what the hell writers worked on this? Because that's what you need the entire show. <laughs> Get that guy. Um, but yeah, the way he was able to manipulate Jimmy... And uh, he's like, we're not kids anymore, man. We're not, we don't need to fight. This is a family business. We're a family. This is our business. This is our life. This is our livelihood. Uh, some of that resonated, right? Like, but you know, it, it's still, Roman's still a, a bad person. Um, it was just absolutely great. And and Ray's babyface promo, which you said we'll get to later, was was fantastic. Roman is firing on all fucking cylinders and is easily still as we, I think me and you both had him rated, rated last year as the number one wrestler in the world. I don't think that's changed as far as overall. He's just great. He's the best thing going in wrestling. I uh, love the ding dong. Hello thing. Kind of, if it would have just ended with her and Rollins, it probably, I wouldn't have, but like the extension of it with the unveil of, of Cesaro at the door, but just, she has Seth Rollins on. They they gloat about everything that they've done and what they've been able to take away from Cesaro and also Bianca Belair and getting their heads and they're laughing and they both have their obnoxious laughs that are very known. All of a sudden we got a ding dong on the ding dong hello show at the door. Seth goes and answers it. It's Cesaro and he beats the living shit out of him and destroys pretty much the whole set with Seth. And this is his return since Seth uh, screwed him over at the pay-per-view. So that was fun. No, no, no. Uh, the, the the Monday after the pay per view that he screwed him, giving him all those uh those stomps to the head over and over again. Uh, so we're setting up that for more. He literally is ripped. His whole pants ripped off. He just has his suit jacket, his boxer briefs, and his shoes on, and is running away in fear. I love the Seth Rollins. He's playing a really good, uh, you know. This, is, this has been my favorite version of, of uh, him as of lately. I hate the Messiah thing, but him as a shitbag heel, who's who's also like chicken shit, I think it's great. And then Bianca comes out, mocks Bailey, and uh, yeah, I, I, I this this was this worked for me. Uh, what do you think? I enjoyed it a lot too, man. I thought it was a really fun segment. It was cool seeing Cesaro get some of his uh, get some momentum back, and uh, kind of a funny Ric Flair moment where you're. In your boxers, running away, you gotta love, the, you gotta love the chicken shit heel. I, I, that's the best Seth Rollins heel, right? When he like the Messiah stuff, it just it doesn't work. But he just he just comes off as kind of a skeezy guy that would would be a chicken shit if he was gonna be a heel. So I loved it. I thought it was great. And Bailey was also awesome here. Bailey's been really, really, really good the past. Well, since she came back, I guess since Sasha disappeared. I think that she's been really, really fun. I didn't know how fans were going to react to her or how the world was going to react to her after all that WrestleMania bullshit, but um, she's been great. Yep. Um, I like the stuff with the Street Profits. I mean, they're taking Alpha Academy and actually giving me reason to want this feud because even though we have stuff going on with the tag champions that are unrelated with the championships himself, with Ray and Dominic, you know, we have the Alpha Academy kind of fucking over the Street Profits, and then they had a match, and we have a part where um, 
Oh, damn it. Um, Angelico, or no, not Angelico. Uh, why can't I think of Montez's Ford's uh, tag team partner's name? Um, Angelo Dawkins, is that it? Th- thank you. Angelo Dawkins gets lured outside by um, Chuck Abel and, man, what the hell is going on with me? Otis. Otis gets him to the back, beats the living shit out of him. He should be done for the rest of the match. And then Chad Gable and Otis spend a good time just destroying Montez Ford. Uh, at one point, Otis does his splash from the middle rope. And, like, by the way, I just want to also say that the commentary, even with Michael Cole, uh, has been great. Now, that has to do with Pat McAfee, but I think that he's been excellent. There is even a part where I believe... Nakamura threw, um, yeah, was that when he threw him? Yeah, King Corbin over the announce table, and he completely disconnected Michael Cole. And while Michael Cole's shuffling to get everything working with his headset, Pat McAfee takes over like it's nothing, talks about the rest of the thing going on, and then, you know, eventually gets interrupted by Michael Cole taking it back over. But he's been flawless. And um, just saying, like, you know, just emphasizing the splash and how Otis went across the ring to do it. I still don't like Otis as a heel. I don't think it makes sense. But these guys are two great in-ring wrestlers against the Street Profits. If that's going to be at the next pay-per-view at Hell in the Cell, I'm down for that. And I thought that Montez Ford sold the injuries from it so well. So I, I, I really like that section, too. Montez Ford is a fucking superstar. I love him. He's just so goddamn good. Um, but, yeah, everything in this match is really great. Uh, like you said with Pat, this is what happens when you hire someone that actually likes wrestling to do commentary. <laughs> As you love how he's to- always standing up and watching whenever they go to him. He's not even watching the monitor. He's just watching the match. <laughs> yes, I do. I really appreciate it. He he brings like a feel of a wrestling fan, even though he's kind of playing a little bit of a heel, etc. And I do want to see him have another match. Yes. And, and do some more promos because I thought he was getting better and better in the ring and and uh, his promos were fucking money on NXT, so I, I want to see him do that. But um, in this announcing role, I've really enjoyed this SmackDown announce team. But, you know, SmackDown's probably a lot easier show to announce than Raw, because Raw is fucking tragic right now, outside of RK-Bro and the New Day. Um, yeah. All, all that being said, yeah, this match was fun, and Otis, with the beard being shaved, it's just so creepy to me. I don't know why. It's it just so weird. Looks, it's so off-putting after seeing him with the beard for so long. <laughs> like, if he says, oh yeah, now I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? Eh, but um, Rey Mysterio, uh, awesome promo about family calling out Roman and all of his stuff and saying that he's actually more of an element of how you're supposed to, you know, be with your family and that he took out his son and that he's going to go out to the ring and call his ass out. And at the end of it, he did call out Roman, uh, just called him a bastard at one point and Roman got in the ring. And of course things become physical because Ray had, I would have liked Ray to have had, I'm so sick of kendo sticks, had a baseball bat instead hidden. Uh, behind him, you know, pulled that out and kind of like just shot him in the gut, old school style like Sting does, you know, and 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 do that because I just get so sick of kendo sticks. But uh, Roman comes back, Dominic helps out, comes out of nowhere. Roman takes them both out, and then uh, the gnarliest looking bump. Obviously, they just filmed it a certain way. Um, I don't think they did it live. I think they did it pre-recorded. 
but it kind of looked like that. Or if they did, it, I maybe there was a person there that actually caught him, but you you don't see it. Uh, power bombs, fucking Dominic onto the floor to the outside, and Ray is devastated, and Roman's coming up the ramp just laughing. So I'm sure this is also going to pick up, piss off Jimmy because Jimmy also said like, why are you doing this to Ray and Dominic? Like, what? How? Why do? Why would Ray Mysterio deserve this from you? So really good stuff, man. Great ending. Even though they're not going to be able to do this soon, if this is like a pre-recorded thing, still looked pretty damn good. It 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 uh, it pulled off the effect, Chris. I would say you don't want to power bomb someone from the inside to the outside. Did Michael, did Mike Awesome ever do that? Put out a table there to break their fall? I don't think so. I mean, probably. Did New Jack wrestle Mike Awesome? I'm sure he took that bump. All right, New Jack. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, I agree with you. I'm assuming that they had a group of people there to catch him, uh, would be my guess just based on the way. Cause, cause when they went back to the floor, check this out, uh, AEW, there was no fuckery involved. And it looked like a normal floor. Um, yeah, it was, it was a cool, that was one of the camera angles that actually works in WWE when they do stuff like that. It was a cool section. Also, where the hell did Ray get the kendo stick from? It's like it appeared like he was a video game character. Like, <laughs> didn't he pull it's... it out of the back of his pants? Like it was like kind of like under his shirt in the back or something. That's I what guess. I thought. I don't know. Like, it, you know, like in video games where you're like unequipped, you don't have a weapon equipped, and then you equip it, and it just comes out of nowhere. That's what it looks like. Ray's like was so flawless getting that thing out. Um, I didn't, I didn't see where he pulled it from, but I thought that was fun and. I, I tend to agree with you. Like with Ray, it should be a lead pipe, right? Isn't that what he used to use in WCW with uh, when he was yeah. with Conan? That would have made a little bit more sense. But obviously, but obviously, they knew that Roman was going to beat the shit out of both of them, so they didn't want him getting hit with like a bat or a lead pipe or whatever. So kendo stick, that's easier for Roman to overcome, I guess. But cool segment. I loved Ray's promo. He's still probably, if not the best babyface promo they have, one of the best. Uh, I like that he says, I do embrace you, Roman. Like, I understand who you are, but, like, also, I can't let you go after my kid, which is, you know, good Ray shit. Um, I don't know what this sets up. Are we setting up Roman versus Ray in a Hell in a Cell? I don't know. No, yeah. I, I, did, did, did Ray say that? It was someone else who said that maybe that night, too. But, yeah, I think Ray did say, I want you in a Hell in a Cell. Because that just means going to get, Ray. yeah, you're going to get murdered. <laughs> like, you're stuck with Roman Reigns in a fucking hell in the cell. <laughs> don't know if be, I don't want to be stuck with this version of Roman Reigns uh, in a hell in a cell. Um, but yeah, Dominic came out and looked pretty good until he got fucking yeeted <laughs> out of the ring. <laughs> that was a it was it was a fun segment this is a really good show i had a lot of fun with this show i think i like this show better than nxt um maybe even better than dynamite this week i don't know i mean i there was some good shit on dynamite too and we'll go into that i just wanted to mention real quick because i was able to watch this match before i watched dynamite um and i forgot to mention it uh, me and you both, I think, like the NXT UK uh, women's title match. You had Kaylee Ray, who had the title for 649 days after winning it from Tony Storm back in 2019 at TakeOver Cardiff, lose to Mako Satamura. Chris, the reason why this kind of like goes along with what I was saying, I feel like they're building at some point to Big E against 
Apollo again for the U.S. title, and I think they might put it on Big E since they took away the Aleister Black thing, and uh, that's just a good person. If he wins that title, WWE literally in every title, I think, in the company has a very dominant champion. Not the tag ones, I'm saying, but like, you know, your world champions, Roman Reigns, Bobby Lashley, Walter, uh, Karrion Cross. Your U.S. champion, or not, yeah, your U.S. champion is fucking Sheamus. Your cruiserweight champion is, even though his size, I mean, who the hell's more deadly than Kushida? Uh, your your fucking North American champion is a Haas um, with, uh, what the hell, um, Bronson Reed. Uh, so Apollo Cruz is a pretty big guy, but he's more athletic. That's why I said if Big E had it, it would really just really make it perfect. But your women champions, Rhea Ripley, Raquel Gonzalez, fucking um, Bianca Belair, and now Mako Sanamura, just to add to that excellence of some of the most dominating looking and acting, if you will, people in the industry. And Mako is amazing. I loved her matches with Tony Storm. And, like, you know, she she was in the Mae Young Classic, the last one they had. She, she went all the way till the end with Tony, had a great match with her, put over Tony. And then kind of went back, I think, over to either Shimmer or one of the other uh, wrestling organizations. The pandemic happens. Uh, then she gets signed to UK. She loses to Kaylee Ray, but now beats her for the championship. Great match. And I'm I, I'm just sorry. Like, Kaylee Ray's great. Tony Storm's great. Some of the women they've had with that title, Rhea Ripley, great. But Mako Sonomura, to me... Now with that belt, it's like Walter with the UK belt. I don't think anyone's taking off for anytime soon either. I didn't realize that Kaylee Ray had held this thing for like 600 days. She had had the title for forever. Yep. Um, this was an amazing match. This might be one of the best women's matches I've seen this year, if I'm being completely honest. Can, can you think of one that was better? Maybe Sasha versus Bianca at Mania? The only two that would be up there for me would be Sasha and Bianca, and then the uh, the hardcore match with um, uh, Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker. But this was the best work match out of all three of them. Yeah, it was fucking great. I love the finish of this match where they were uh, on the top rope, and then Satomura hits that like, God, was it a sunset flip or a sunset power bomb? Leading into the finish, and like she locks in a sleeper hold and. Then she hits like a step up Pele kick or some shit. And then like, it was like a, like Kaylee Ray doing all she could, like basically selling, she was down on the mat. She locks in like a triangle choke. Um, and then Sotomore like break, breaks it up by trying to do a pinfall and then just death Valley driver. And then Scorpio rising game and Scorpio rising, by the way, is such a cool fucking move because it's basically, um, the shining wizard, but she does like a leg drop on the back of your head. Yeah. It's fucking sick. I love One thing that. that was really cool in the match is when both ladies back to back gave each other their, their finishers and were able to kick out of it. But I just, I thought it was great, man. Their work on the outside, everything that they did, they were beating the living hell out of each other. And I know the complaint, I don't get the complaint. I know the complaint from some people are, you know, Mako Sonomura is a little bit older in age. Like, you know, you have all these young female wrestlers. And all I have to say to that is fuck off. Why do we give the, why don't we give the same exact type of treatment to the male wrestlers like we do the female wrestlers or no or vice versa? 
you can have guys like AJ Styles that's in his 40s, Randy Orton in his 40s, but Mickey James needs to get the fuck out of the company because she can only be enhancement talent. Get over your stupid mentality. Some of those younger girls need to get better to be able to get to that level. And someone like a Mako Satomura losing to one of them is going to make them. So if you don't know that, that's because you're an ignorant fool, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you. And anyone who's listening to this, they should go back and listen to my rant <laughs> about this from last week as well. Uh, with ageism, specifically when it's related to female wrestlers. And also go like listen to Mickey James talk about it. Because I think she pointed out a lot of things that are... Very prevalent, at least in the WWE side of things. Um, but yeah, Miko, she didn't look old in this match. I'll tell you that. Looked like a million fucking bucks. So, <laughs> yep. Uh, the only other match I watched on this card, Dane, was the Devlin match. I haven't had a chance to check out everything, but the uh, the Devlin versus Huxley match was pretty good, but it was very short. Yeah, I only caught the uh, main event, but uh, still great stuff. You know, you get those diamonds in the rough with UK. Where it's like you hear that Ben Carter had an amazing match with someone or Jordan Devlin for that that matter. Or, you know, they have some of those guys over there, Joe Kofi, where you're like, all right, I'll check out a Joe Kofi-Walter match. That should be fucking great. And uh, some of the other people are, are developmental and they're getting better, but it's a little bit different in NXT. I think NXT over here in the States is just more uh, – it's, it's really a hybrid between on the same level and also developmental. At the same time, whereas I think UK has those developmental people thrown in, uh, period. So it's good to have a couple legends, or not legends necessarily, but a couple veterans up there. Yeah, and I mean, this was a short show overall, and I do recommend people go back and watch it. Like I said, I haven't got a, I didn't get to see the uh, the tag match, but I watched the majority of the rest of it. And Walter has an in-ring segment that I think you'll dig, Dane, where he comes out and talks about... Basically, he's like, I defended my title bill on two different continents in the same week um, against Ciampa, obviously, and Rampage Brown. And then he uh, he talked about his mission being to restore restore honor to this great sport. And he said he would forever be the NXT UK champion, which at this point, I don't know that there's anyone that can take it off of him unless they send Finn Balor over there or some shit. But uh, as far as UK wrestlers go, whew, Walter, he is that's uh, the only name. He is a, a big-ass monster of a man that is just chopping motherfuckers down like they're redwood trees. And I don't even know if I'd want Finn to win, but he's, like, the only person now. I mean, he's beaten Joe Kofi. He's beaten Tyler Bates several times. He's beaten Pete Dunne several times. He has beaten um, Ilya Dragnov. He's beaten fucking uh, Tomasa Ciampa. He's beaten Rampage Brown. I mean, these are some, like... Tomasa excluded, those names are some of the biggest names in the UK wrestling system, period, including Rampage Brown, which I'm very happy finally made his way over to uh, the UK. Used to be huge over in Progress and ICW. Um, yeah, Finn Balor pretty much is the only person I could think of that might be able to take that title off. What they need to do and they probably want is just offer him a stupid amount of fucking money to work the Brock Lesnar schedule and then build up to him versus Brock. Because I want to see that. Yeah. I, I want to see Walter versus Brock, especially if Walter goes over. Like, I think he's just the superstar they need. I 
to me, he is one of the best, if not the best wrestlers in the world. The only problem is, is we don't get to see him all the time, right? We only get to see him, like, what, once every four months in America? Unless you watch yeah. NXT UK. And he works a light schedule in NXT UK, too. That I mean, that's the only problem. But this this guy is fucking phenomenal. <laughs> like, Top five. Easy. He's fucking great. So I would love to see him do something either with Lashley or Drew or Brock or uh, he's a guy that I think that they would shoot to the moon if he wanted to work the main roster, but maybe just work out a deal where it's like Brock. It's like, Hey man, <laughs> you only got to work six day, six dates or something. You know what I mean? Um, but there's no one I can see beating him. Eventually they're going to have to do him and carrying cross, I guess, which I'm just assuming carrying cross is going to get demolished. I don't know, man. There's like no one. That's crazy, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. Love Walter. I'll go back and check out that promo. Let's go over Dynamite's highlights. Um, trying to think. What should we talk about first? Christian had a really good match with Angelico. I really like Angelico. I think Jack Evans is holding him down. I know Jack is really good luchador. I liked a lot of their stuff specifically together and separately in Lucha Underground. A lot of times what he does, I just feel it's getting sloppy. I don't know what's going on with him. But in Helico, every time I see him perform, the technical stuff that he does is very innovative. It's stuff that reminds me of TJP and also Zack Sabre Jr., some of the cool things that he pulls off. And I thought that Christian complimented him really well. Christian really had, and I, I think it was Jim Cornette who said that he's got that Bobby Eaton style of, of just being a really good worker and being able to work off of anyone really well. Um, so I thought that was a good opening match. Uh, of course, Angelico lost, but, you know, this is building towards him and Matt Hardy. So, and I, I still don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I guess that these guys have chemistry together, and I get that, and they have history, but to me, them two putting other guys over is kind of more important at the minute, or building their own stock if they want to get them in a heavyweight uh, title position. But uh, how'd you like this opening match, and what do you think about Angelico? I like Angelico. I've never been huge on what's his partner, uh, Evans. Jack Evans. Yeah, I've never been huge on him, and I think they're a weird tag team. They like seemingly don't have chemistry to me as a tag team. I feel like you could find another guy if you wanted either of those guys to tag with someone. I feel like you should be able to pull someone from Dark or one of the other programs you have and and make a different tag team. But they just to me they don't fit as a, a tag team. Also, I missed the Matt Hardy promo at the beginning, so I'm not 100% sure what he said. I kind of came in right as it was happening. Um, match itself was great. One thing Christian was really good about in this match is slowing it down. Yes. Because in Helico was trying to go full throttle, and like you would see like Christian slow the match down <laughs> and make it a good match. Uh, and then obviously he got his ass whipped after he got the win, which was to be expected. And uh, Jungle Boy shows up to make the save, which I, I think is great because baby, baby faces should look after each other. Jungle Boy coming out to make the save, even if he's not in a feud with any of these guys, just makes him look like a good dude. Reminds me of like what would happen in the 80s if Dusty was getting beat down by the four horsemen. No, people got to run out there and try to save him. Loved it. Yep, I agree. Uh, next, uh, announcement, we got a new wrestler that is officially a part of AEW. Uh, the enforcer on Anderson's son, Brock Anderson made his 
he looked like I love how you said he looked like he came from a Jimmy Buffett concert. But really, if you equate some of the stuff that Arn would wear in the 90s on Nitro, where he was probably around like, you know, early 30s, older than Brock is now, but around the same age, he really has a similar look to his father. He even like kind of looks like he's in his 40s. Like just if that's like an Anderson thing, I, I don't know. I you know the hair path to the side with the glasses. Uh, he's a little bit thinner. Like I would like him to be a little bit stockier, but um, I'm telling you, man. Uh, I the stuff I could care less about is now we're gonna probably get Cody and him against Anthony Gogo and QT Marshall, who's trying to be Tony Soprano. It you know it's it's like. You can tell that's a direct ripoff, whereas Roman seems like he's channeling Tony Soprano and doing it naturally. Uh, him with the shirt and kind of like, you know, well, he is from Jersey, so we can kind of, all right, whatever. Um, but and it's not like I don't like QT Marshall. It's just too on the nose for me. Uh, and he's not he's not doing some of the stuff, like the qualities, like, you know, the facial expressions, the smiles. Like, you can't see what I'm doing right now, but like some of the stuff that Tony would do mannerism-wise, he should probably study a lot more if he wants to try to pull off a Tony Soprano character. That's a very, very big fucking task, by the way, that uh, your boss put on you, because I know that that was Tony's idea, Tony Khan. But um, I like Brock. I hope he's good. Who knows, man? I, I'm i thinking, I'm thinking, uh, you know, if they get Tessa, put it with the two of them, call it Generations or some shit. I know that we have a million goddamn things, but we're going to have a, keep on having a million factions, so fuck it at this point. But, um, Brock looks good. I, I'm I'm uh, I'm excited to see Arn's kid pick up the mantle. Um, I can't wait till he goes against JD Drake, who's like a walking version of his father right now. I think that will be fun. Who's completely in a weird faction that I don't know why the fuck you put him with those other guys with with uh, with Dolph Ziggler's brother and Cesar Bononi and that other dude that no one cares about, the librarian. Uh, not too happy for JD Drake for that, but maybe that's because I'm a I'm a fan of his personally. Um, I I love him and Brock in a fucking tag team. Just change your name to Drake Anderson. Just do that and fucking let Arn have the two of them. Like he's the Oli and you know Brock's the fucking Arn. That'd be great. But uh, yeah, this, there's there's stuff that you can do with Brock. Hopefully, we can see the in ring work. He's getting trained by his father Cody, QT Marshall, Dustin. So he's got some of the best, but his dad, based off his size, was one of the best technical wrestlers of his generation. He was a mechanic, is what Stone Cold Steve Austin called him. So that's a lot to live up to. You know, there's those David Flares and David fucking San Martinos, and I guess David anything at this point. Uh, so hopefully just, thank God his name's not David, Chris, I guess. Yeah, unfortunately, his name's Brock, which is also a... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Big thing to live up to. Uh, he looks a lot like Arn. He's got the Arn hairline. That that stuff is going to go pretty quickly unless he starts using Keeps, which we're not sponsored by, but hey, Keeps, if you're listening, you send us some of that sponsorship money. We'll appreciate that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I he my wife walked in while I was watching, and I was like, hey, look, it's Arn Anderson's kid. And she was like, the guy that looks like he came from a Dave Matthews band concert, it was like right after I had sent you that. And I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> uh, I will say this. The uh, the punches he was throwing looks like Shane McMahon level of shit when he did the double leg takedown. So, yeah, uh, obviously he's still learning. 
But that's one thing he needs to learn from Arn because Arn probably throws one of, if not the best working punches of all time. Um, so, yeah, just have him throw a bazillion punches, Arn, I guess. I'm excited for this. I think it'd be really cool. There's a lot of places they can go with a uh, an Arn. They could even build to him and Cody somewhere down the road if they wanted to. But uh, Arn, and, Arn and his son looked very underdressed in comparison to, <laughs> to Cody. He's going to have those suits on, man. It was very weird. Um, QT Marshall, I, I just don't care, dude. I really, really don't. I wish the storyline was done already. Um, and like you said, you're you're asking someone to fill some big fucking shoes if you want them to be James Gandolfini. Yeah. It's not going to happen. You don't even have fucking close to the accent. Neither do I. All right. Um, next part. HMO, you're covered. <laughs> HMO, you're fucking covered, all right? You don't fuck. Uh, we had a match with Pop, Penta, Kingston, um, who were having issues, but like Kingston, I guess is okay with Pentagon. It's kind of weird because now Eddie is a, a babyface. The last time he interacted with these guys, he was the heel fucking them up and screwing them over. So now with this whole thing, and they're going against the Young Bucks and uh, Cutler or Cuttlefish or Cutlet, whatever you want to call them who's there just to get the beating and take the pin at the end of it. Um, but yeah, just the, uh, the, the attack at the end of it. And we have Frankie Kazarian out of nowhere coming out. He is now called the elite killer and he fucking took out a bunch of people. And next week it seems like it's going to be Frankie. It's going to be Pentagon and it's going to be Eddie Kingston. And I think it was Matt Jackson with the good brothers, which is a weird random way to do it, but uh, should be interesting stuff. But uh, I love this new Frankie, how he's, like, just going after the elite. He's trying to take – he's pissed that they got fucked over and then beaten, and they're going by their word. But now it seems like Daniels is kind of retiring, or at least that's what they're going by right now. So Frankie wants to take out the elite himself and take out all the guys. Uh, I like this. Uh, Will it go anywhere? No fucking clue. Hopefully it goes to the point where – you know, Triple A goes down and Pentagon and Phoenix show up and make the save when on and for Andrade and he wins the title or something. We drag this thing out. Like someone's gotta step up to take this group and this is the the best representation of AEW we've seen as far as people that are against this bullet club coming in and just doing whatever the fuck they want, right? Or whatever the hell they're calling themselves. Um I liked this match. I thought it was really, really good. I love the spot where you know, uh, Neville goes, or not Neville, the bastard pack goes to hit the splash and, and Kingston stops him and convinces him to uh, to go together. He's like, we're on the same page. That was really great because, you know, they're still teasing that like Kingston, he's on the outs with these guys, right? But that was a fun spot. And um, yeah, just the match itself was really good. Uh, Pack is just fucking incredible in the ring and I wish I would have saw a little bit more of Pentagon, if I'm being completely honest, in the match. But it, it was good. I mean, would they they had like 15, 20 minutes for this one? Yeah, around it was it was a good match. It was a lengthy match. It was fun too. Um, I love. I also loved the little preview vignette before the match where they were like, earlier in the day we caught up with Kingston. And I don't know if anyone else has noticed this besides me, but every time they've done an interview with Eddie Kingston for the past like months since DMX passed away. He's had a DMX shirt or hoodie on. So in the interview, he's rocking a DMX shirt. 
Oh, we should talk about that, man. Did you did you listen to the podcast of Chris Jericho and the Inner Circle breaking down the uh, Stadium Stampede that they did on uh, Talk is Jericho Friday? I did not. Tell me about it. Well, one of the coolest things, and they almost had it. So as a present, since DMX passed away, and that was um, uh, Santana's favorite artist, and Santana went through all that shit with his family and family members dying of COVID and whatnot, uh, Chris was going to go out of pocket with Tony so they could get for the scene uh, when, when, it, when Conan takes over in that scene and then puts on his music to fucking counter the, the music, there, the weird EDM. That was originally going to be country, but they couldn't figure out anything, so they went with EDM just to be annoying. Um, but yeah, it was going to be country because of FTR to kind of balance it or some type of southern rock thing, but they couldn't figure it out. But they got permission from the label to use uh, X Gonna Give It To You uh, for that part, and then the family turned it down. Of course, Chris had no problem with that because... DMX passed away and whatever they want to do. But he told Satana. Satana was, like, pumped about it. And then, like, the day before they filmed it, they found out they couldn't use it. So they had someone edit something to kind of sound similar to it. But, you know, it would have been awesome if, like, all of a sudden that comes on during that segment. And then you have Santana and Ortiz fucking up FTR at the bar. That would have been a lot of fun. Then Conan attacking uh, Tully. But uh, that did not happen. So... That's unfortunate and very sad, but you know, got to respect the family. Maybe they don't like wrestling. Who knows? Though DMX would be a would have been a great fucking wrestler, <laughs> or at least a, yeah, a he manager. <laughs> wasn't he on? Um, what was that that game that had the uh, same engine as No Mercy? Uh, Def Jam. Wasn't he uh, in that? Def Jam. I think he was in Def Jam Vendetta, but there was also Def Jam Fight for. There was three of them. Uh, those are fucking great. amazing games, by the way. And they have shot up in price, so if you're going to play one, I recommend downloading it on the emulator. All right, let's move on. Pinnacle comes out, says they're threats. It seems like we're all going for singles matches to end this whole entire thing, or we're building towards that, if you will. Uh, But after they all threaten, you know, Undisputed Era is in the back pulling. You know, it's like the NWO did a Stone Cold Steve Austin bit, but it still really worked because it was just gnarly. I did not know a forklift could go through a fucking limousine, pick its ass up, and basically just, like, you know, just manhandle it, um, and they destroyed their limo. So I guess that's where they're going. So we're going to get... I don't know how this works, because here's the thing. MJF's beaten Chris Jericho, what, twice? They beat him at the friggin' War Games match. And then you have the the Undisputed Era winning clearly at the uh, Stadium Stampede. But so we're doing Jericho versus MJF. We're doing uh, what the hell? Uh, Sammy going against Sean Spears. We also have been promoted throughout this that Sammy wants to take on uh, MJF by himself. And then Wardlow and Jake Hager are having their match in a UFC cage, I think, next week. So when the fuck is this going to end? Like, I like it. It's a lot of fun, but. There needs to be an end in sight, and I don't know how you're going to equate that we have an overall winner with a bunch of individual fights. It seems like it's already stacked, technically, in the Pinnacle's favor. They won war games, and MJF's beaten Chris Jericho twice now. So what? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it, Chris. 
I think it either has to end with one group being broken up or Jericho going away for a while and getting injured, right? And then Sammy Guevara having to step up into the leadership role of that group. It has to be something like that to keep it interesting. But yeah, I, I think it should be done. I mean, you've done all the matches you could do for a blow-off, really. Um, unless you just do something where MJF just completely leaves the group because he's a dick. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I have no idea. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Like you've given us all of the matches pretty much. I mean, I guess we're getting the singles and the tag matches now separate from one another, but, uh, out of all of this, I think Sammy Guevara has probably built his stock up the most off that last pay-per-view or the last two pay-per-views. Cause he was just such a key part of it. So I could see them doing something where Jericho gets injured for good, which they probably should have done after he fell off the cage and having Sammy Guevara step up into like a leadership role in that group. But even then, like the feud doesn't necessarily end. Right. So I have no idea. Like the only way it really works is to break up one of these groups. Otherwise I'll just be fighting like LA LIJ and uh, Suzuki gun for forever. Yeah. That's a good point. I don't know, but, uh, We'll have to find out. Miro had a match with Evil Uno. I'm glad that Miro dominated towards the end. Just all of a sudden, he what the hell? He got basically that big boot and didn't do anything, and then he destroyed Evil Uno. I think Evil Uno is really good in tag matches. When he's in a singles match, he kind of, at least in this one, gets exposed a bit because you have parts where all right, he he had a roll up. Uh, Miro did against Evil Uno, and Evil Uno threw Miro off of him. Miro takes this fucking bump, just completely collides in the turnbuckle like it was, like, devastating. But, like, Evil Uno kind of barely kicked off and, like, his punches and stuff like that. I think when he's with Stu Grayson, they look better together. Um, I wish Miro didn't give him as much offense, basically. Yeah, I mean, this should have technically been a squash match just because we've never seen Evil... I don't know that we've ever seen Evil Uno win a singles match on TV, right? I know he's over with the crowd right now, but so is all of Dark Order. Um, God, that promo he posted on Twitter was really, really bad, by the way. Um, Man. Yeah, I agree with you. He shouldn't have got as much offense and... uh, I don't know. Maybe he was trying to work light because he didn't want to upset Miro or something. But like you said, he wasn't really laying anything in and just kind of all looks like shit, if I'm being honest. Like, Miro looked so much more uh, polished, I would say. Well, I mean, Miro is probably one of the most polished wrestlers on their roster, and a lot of that comes from... I know people hate to hear this, but being able to work that WWE working that WWE style and being able to know when the where the camera is and, and where everything is. I mean, he is always going to look good in his matches um, and, and make them believable. But I mean, obviously he's able to do more now than he was in, in WWE, but there is something to be said about some of the things that WWE teaches and, and the way that they do productions of matches uh, that make that shit look really, really good and clean. And Miro is a, a, someone who's worked with Cena and, and all these cats. I'm sure he's, he's consumed a lot of knowledge that maybe he should pass along to some of these dudes. Agreed. All right. Um, last two things, Omega 
talking shit about Jungle Boy, going over the top with uh, Don Callis about he's the greatest person on the mic, um, you know, the greatest promo, the greatest wrestler, just really hamming it up. And a lot of this stuff, I think actually Kenny's really gotten better on the mic. He's not being as breathy, it seems like. It seems like, and I've said this before, it seems like he's trying to be... He's trying to be over eccentric like a Ric Flair back in the day, but Rick, he was believable. It seems like Kenny's kind of trying to impersonate it, but I think he's gotten a little bit better at it because Don Callis is there to counter with him. But I liked how he called out Jungle Boy. Or no, no, no. He said that he was too much. The one thing that he lacked, you know, he built him up um, and said that he's really good in the ring, blah, 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 blah. He's got a lot of potential, but he just doesn't have the guts. And then right then and there, you hear Jungle Boy's music, everyone's singing it. He comes out, looks great in the ring, you know, grabs the mic, says, you talk a lot. Kenny goes to punch him, uh, then gets the better of him with uh, Jungle Boy beating him, getting him the snare trap. Good Brothers hit the ring. He gets out, retreats. uh, And, yeah, we're building towards this match in two weeks for the title. Kenny Omega versus Jungle Boy. I am invested. I think Jungle Boy, like Sammy Guevara, like MJF, like Adam Page, uh, like Will Hobbs, those are your future big guys within that company. Um, Darby Allen, obviously. And Jungle Boy's up there, too, man. And he's great in the fucking ring. This should be a great match. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I agree with you. It'll be a good match. I don't see Kenny dropping the belt to Jungle Boy, but I'm excited for that match, especially like a like a pay-per-view level match, like a 20 20- minute match between him and, and Omega. That should be really, really great. And uh, this is the first big test for Jungle Boy, really, to see if he's ready completely for the main stage. I mean, going against Omega is it's like a rite of passage at this point, right? The best bout machine himself. Huge. So hopefully he is 100% on his fucking game because this match could make him look like a million bucks. I, I Everyone knows that I'm not, I don't necessarily think that Omega is the greatest wrestler in the entire world. Like a lot of other people do, but he is a damn fucking great wrestler and can yeah. have a great match with pretty much anyone. So for jungle boy, this is like a big stepping stone. This could be like, you know, he could have a five-star match with Omega, something that would be remembered. So that that's, this is great all around. I don't think Jungle Boy will get the title, but it was fun seeing him kind of get the better of uh, of Kenny here. It's not going to obviously be the same outcome, but this kind of gives me, you know, we talked about this. It was actually Dave LaGreca who brought this up directly to um, uh, Billy Corgan about how, you know, he's getting like a flare, dusty type of concept sprinkle with the Murdoch, Nick Aldis thing. This kind of gives me a little bit of sprinkle of, like a Kerry Von Erich against Ric Flair, except for obviously Jungle Boy's not getting the title. Uh, just a really pure baby face that's agile and not scared of the opponent that talks a bunch of shit and has this big game and comes off intimidating. But in also in actuality, you have that experienced guy that can make the the guy that has a little bit less experience but the crowd loves put to a different level by having just a great match with them, which Rick was able to do with Kerry. And, uh, you know, ended up giving them the title for a little while. But I don't, like I said, that's not happening. But other than that, I think there is similar elements. Yeah, I'd almost, I would almost compare it to like a steamboat type deal. Because Jungle Boy's not said that much. Ricky. 
Um, but yeah, I, I could agree with those comparisons, man, for sure. And it'll be a fun match. It's just, I don't, I don't know if this is the time you give Jungle Boy the title, especially amidst of all the, once again, Kenny's, I don't want to say he's like kind of cancerous because I feel like that they're a big part of the show, but all of these shows are specifically directed around Kenny Omega, um, whether it's in Mexico or AEW or Impact there's like a backlog of people that you need to get over and, and who are you going to pull the trigger on first? And I don't necessarily know that that's jungle boy. Now, um, Darby, Adam page, you said Eddie Kingston. I think those are your best choices. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Maybe Christian will take it. Um, Taz or team Taz, man, are they done? Uh, Brian cage walked out on Will Hobbs while going against uh, Ten and Adam Page because Ricky, informed by Taz, threw the FTW championship at Taz to, you know, while distract while the other person, Hook, distracted the referee on the other side to take out Adam Page. For the second time now, he wouldn't do it. He actually threw his title to the outside on the floor. Taz was pissed off. Frankie was pissed off, and Brian said, fuck this, I'm out. Hobbs gets taken out, and as we go off air, Adam Page, The Dark Order, 10, all of them celebrating together, uh, take drinking beers while, of course, uh, Negative One was drinking water. They made sure that they let everyone know that. Um, but, yeah, good ending. I love Adam Page in the ring. He did something I can't remember. I can't put my finger on it tonight that I was like, this man is so ridiculously agile. It's fucking crazy. Some of the backflips that he does or shooting star presses off the apron. Like, he's just incredible, especially based on his height. But uh, I like this. I like this whole entire thing. I like the story. And I think Brian Cage, he might be clashing with Hobbs. But after that, away from Team Taz. And I still like Team Taz. Maybe they can get another member that makes more sense for that group. I think Brian Cage is going to be positioned better as a, uh, whatchamacallit, a uh, champion. Um, not champion, I'm sorry. A uh, being babyface champion level guy, if you will. I like the idea of the dissension of Team Taz and maybe Cage carrying the FTW title and actually defending it. And then if they could bring in, and they've done this in the past in Impact, like if they can bring in someone like Samoa Joe to be with Taz to go against Cage... Uh, for that FTW title, that would be something that's really awesome. But the the FTW title kind of means nothing, and and I know Taz Taz had surgery this week, right? He had some some kind of uh, non cancerous tumor or something that was affecting his hand. So hopefully everything's good with him. I think that's why he wasn't on the show, right? Yes. Well, this one was pre-recorded, so he was on the show at the announce booth. But yeah, they, I think it was uh, recorded the last week. So, oh yeah, yeah, I got you. Um, I vaguely remember any of this other than Adam Page one. <laughs> you might have been tired, man. This was at midnight, basically, when this happened last night. Yeah, I don't even remember Taz on commentary, if I'm being honest. But I remember the match and I remember cage walking off and that was kind of the gist of it. I guess him versus powerhouse Hobbs. That's fine. But what are you going to do with cage afterwards? Just have him be a singles guy. Maybe get a new manager if you need to, but like someone that makes more sense for a baby face 
big guy. I don't know who that is, though. I have no clue. Maybe the uh, the ravishing Russian Lana. <laughs> Let's see how that works out. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, um, yeah, the FTW title is just the weird part of this to me. And then also Ricky Starks is kind of an afterthought at this point. So yeah, maybe him it's being injured and on up. TV is actually not helping him, I don't think, because he can't do anything. He looked like a bitch running away from Cage. Yeah, it's kind of a thing where maybe this group has ran its course, break them up, and then if you want Taz to come in with a new guy, that's great. You know, I, I think it's maybe that time, or maybe it is just Will Hobbs, but maybe it's time to give it like a some breath, like give it a couple months and then rebuild it. Because I mean, Team oh. Taz has lost to everyone. <laughs> yeah, not... they really have. It's not like a dominant thing. They got beat up by Sting and Darby Allen, the entire fucking team, essentially. I agree, man. I don't know what the fuck's going on with that, but that's very true. Um, all right, we got five more things to talk about real quick before we get out of here. News uh, items, if you will. You were just talking about Samoa Joe. Well, from Fightful Select, apparently he might be headed back towards the NXT brand. Uh, apparently, just like was talked about with Aleister Black, there was a lot of setback and pushback by a lot of the executives and people within the the company about rehiring specifically Aleister Black and Samoa Joe. Um, So if Samoa Joe, the rumor is from Fightful, what they're saying is that he would be headed to NXT as a wrestler and a staff member. So he would be potentially back in the ring. So I don't know what to say about this. Um, Like I said, I know that Aleister Black was rumored uh, to be wanted to be come back as well, not necessarily to NXT, but back to the product because a lot of people saw potential on him. Uh, but then that was denied also because there's a rumor that he might be joining AEW later this summer. I know for a fact, and I'll talk about something else in the next uh, news item about Alistair Black specifically, what you were saying about being, uh, you know, taken out and what he wants to do in the future. He made it very clear to Renee to, that. Um, He's had offers from multiple companies. So I'm assuming AEW might be one of them. But uh, do you see Samoa Joe going back to NXT, or do you think this is all bullshit that Fightful Select is hearing? I mean, it's possible if they want to pay him the same amount of money. I don't see... Like, this goes back to what we were talking about last week, which Lance Storm brought up with someone like Braun Strowman, was releasing them just a way to renegotiate their contracts to make it a lower price. And if that's the case, I don't think Samoa Joe is going to go work NXT for less money than what he was making on Raw. Especially if he can go somewhere else and work and make the same amount of money and and actually be elevated on a TV show. But at the same time, and I completely agree with you, and there's definitely a money concept within this. Do you think that Joe liked NXT working for them better than he liked working for Raw and SmackDown? I mean, I would say so. He was the NXT champion, right? Had some good matches with Finn and a few other, like Nakamura and a few other cats. So uh, his run in WWE, I mean, like I said, if they would have pulled the trigger on him winning the title against Brock, maybe it would have been a different story. But when you shovel some guy off to the announce booth, I'm sure he was much happier in NXT than he was on the main product. But that's just bad booking on WWE's part. So it's hard to say. I don't know. Maybe Joe liked... Not working and getting paid. <laughs> I have no idea. 
that would be a good question to ask Joe. He's like, I got to play video games with a new day and then just do commentary. He didn't have to worry about fucking taking a bazillion bumps. If he goes back to NXT, it's going to be expected for Joe to have those kind of NXT matches again. I don't, I mean, it would be the same thing. But maybe got- we'll finally eventually get, you were talking about who can take down Walter. So send Samoa Joe over to the UK. Let's see what that match looks like. I mean, it would kind of be like similar to his matches in uh, what Ring of Honor or or was it Pro Wrestling Noah against Kenta Kobashi? I mean, Walter's way bigger frame, but that's like one of his biggest influences with style. So Joe would be great against him. I'm just saying. Yeah, it'd be a great match. I just don't know what you do with Joe on NXT. Like, you don't. You send him to fuck. He goes to either AW or Ring of Honor, hopefully. Or New Japan, maybe. Has Joe ever has Joe ever worked New Japan? I don't know that he has, or if he has, it was a very limited run. But someone like him showing up would be a huge deal for New Japan. Is he too? Is he too worn to go through a G one tournament? I don't think so. I mean, like MVP went through one. Shelton Benjamin went through one. I, I would think Joe would be able to do it. I think there's enough respect for Joe that they would do work around whatever Joe's able to do or not able to do. As long as he doesn't get concussed or anything, he should be fine, right? That's the only reason he's been out. He's not out with any kind of he wasn't out with any kind of body injuries. He got concussed by AOP twice. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about this uh Renee Moxley or is it she goes by Dupree still. Um but her interview with Aleister Black, I'm just going to give a detail of some of the stuff that he talked about, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, says that WWE's issue is a lack of focus on their main people uh, being pushed. The issue is there's not a focus on the people around the main people being pushed. You have to have uh, continuous stre- uh, steam of people being built up so that people care about them. Nothing I'm saying is shocking. I, I think it's the main consensus of a lot of people that there is not enough focus on multiple people. Why would you not make everyone you are uh, utilizing strong? It is a very busy and ever-changing landscape, and you can only do so much. As a talent, you can only do so much. Producers can only do so much. The writers, staff can only do so much. The good thing is, is that it's also shared within the company, the locker room, the writing room, and that's how everyone keeps their chins up. Everyone has the same question marks. It's telling of what perhaps should change. I want to present a more positive sense of this release. So, uh, yeah, just, I mean, that's him confirming stuff that we've always known, right? Pretty much. And kind of uh, siding with the fans and what they were saying that Triple H shit on earlier. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I mean, but... Here's the thing, like not everyone that gets elevated to the main roster is going to be a top guy. Uh, I feel like he he is kind of a caveat to that, right? Him and Ricochet should have been sure things. It's 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 weird because he's not said anything negative about WWE, which I think leads could lead you to believe that he could possibly sign somewhere, right? Back with them. So I, I don't think that rumor is just completely crazy. Speaking of hey. which, what? Uh, 
Speaking of which, did you see uh, the Dash Wilder's comments on the people getting released and how they were like saying thank you for the time I was there, etc.? No, it was Kyle Anderson, and I'm sorry, I don't agree with him at all. And I want to go back a year and see what his response was when he got fired, because I'm pretty sure he was pretty fucking nice and humble about that. That's easy to go from the outside looking in and criticize friends of yours and also people that you know to basically burn bridges with the biggest wrestling company because now you're over it. But I also think that that's kind of irresponsible and kind of not in your place to fucking say something that other people should do what you're telling them they should do. He did not have that attitude when he first got let go from from WWE. And not only that, Carl, you're making way more fucking money than any of them. You were making big money before they fired you. AJ got you a huge deal with your with with Doc Gallo. So I love Carl Anderson, but I thought that that was kind of a dumb statement. Yeah, if anything, AJ is the one that got fucked over in that situation because he, part of the reason he resigned is because he thought they were resigning, and then they got let go. So yeah, I I, I agree with you. I, I was just curious on your thoughts about it. For those that didn't see this or hear this, just look up Carl Anderson's Twitter and basically what he was saying is that all of these wrestlers that got released should have just breathed it in for 24 hours and then basically said, fuck you. I'll go make money somewhere else. Uh, which is easy to say, but as Dane and I have talked about, there's only so many roster positions in so many different companies where you can make the same amount of money that you were making in WWE. It can't, AEW can't hire everyone. New Japan can't hire everyone. Ring of honor can't hire everyone. Well, ring of honor can barely hire anyone. Uh, <laughs> due to the parent <laughs> company. Uh, so, it's, you know, they, you know, he talked about how much money he's made, but a lot of the money he made was off like talk, talk and shop a mania and stuff that impact let him do that was outside of their wrestling contract. Not necessarily, you know, what they were contracted to work for and stuff. There, there's a lot of layers to that. It was just kind of a weird out of nowhere statement. And it's like taking shots at some of these cats basically who are like, thank you. I really appreciate, you know, my time there. I'm kind of with you. I don't know that you necessarily burn a bridge. Especially WWE. Look, all the faults they have, they're still Coca-Cola, man. And uh, I'm sorry, there's going to be wrestlers, I know a lot of people don't want to hear this, that are in AEW right now. That Whether they were past WWE guys or not, might end up in WWE still. Even if AEW climbs and becomes a big thing. Because the landscape of wrestling... WWE still is top spot. A lot of wrestlers still would like to get to WrestleMania one day. And even in fuck, who, who's to know in 10, 15 years if Kenny Omega or MJF aren't over at fucking WWE? You don't know. So if you're a wrestler that's worked there for however much money that you made, to try to burn a bridge immediately so they might not want to have you back, even though WWE's let everyone fucking back and their mother, um, that's just stupid. I mean, I love, like I said, I love the machine gun Carl Anderson. I think he's a badass. He's a great wrestler, very underrated. Um, but I think he had a couple too sh- many shots of tequila maybe with uh, Gallows when he decided to post that on Twitter. Very, very plausible. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100% on that. I was just curious on, on what your thoughts were because I, I would say, you know, Aleister Black has went about this very, very well as far as talking about what's going on there without actually just burying the company where you've had people in the past, let's say a John Moxley, who's like, he didn't necessarily say fuck the company, but he, he was a lot more open about what was going on and being <laughs> pissed off about it. Right. 
So it's yeah. just it's very different mindset. So when people say like I could see Alistair Black resigning, that you know that just brings forward what Lance Storm was kind of talking about, where maybe it's just a way to renegotiate some of these contracts and see what's out there in the market. Because if they end up coming back to WWE and saying, hey, here's the number I got, and it was still lower than what they were making, and WWE's like, okay, well, we can give you this. Uh, at that point, it's just up to you to decide if you're willing, what your worth is. You know what I mean? And I mean, that that's not just a wrestling thing. That could be sports, normal jobs in general. And going back to Black to kind of, the reason why there could be a possibility of him re-signing with WWE is because he was respectful. And that's one thing that he promoted when he was talking to Renee. And the, and the quote, because there's, there's two more quotes I want to talk about with this whole thing. And this kind of coincides with what you're saying. Um, you know, he was just talking about how he, he built a relationship with Vince McMahon, how he thought that that was important in any job to do that. And that, you know, that he's ever had in the past and that you should try to build a relationship with your boss. It said, uh, it went well for two weeks and somehow in the pipeline, something changed and Aleister Black, who was never seen in a suit or wrestling gear was standing in raw underground in his shorts. No one told me. And I found out the day of, uh, that the show was going to start. This is what we're doing. I remember going, what? This is not what we set out to do. Everything went downhill. Fan side, I side, creative side. I sat down with our VP and said, something has to change. This is not going right. I have been here for years, uh, for a year and a half, and I feel like I'm ping pong uh, continuously. I'm not somehow who quickly gives up on, on stuff. I had a conversation with Bruce Pritchard and Vince that lasted about 45 minutes. It was a good talk, full of praise and compliments me on my ability to be honest while being respectful and saying how much he appreciated my creative thought process. He also understood that there were things on the main roster that didn't go the way he wanted it to go. He said, I'm sorry for that. I apologize. Let's do it this way. I'm going to send you home for a bit. We'll get some separation between you and Kevin Owens. And when you return, we're off to the races. I was supposed to return around rumble. And obviously that never came to fruition. I kept asking, what are we doing? I've never been more frustrated. So you should build a relationship with your boss, but this is Vince McMahon. Did Vince really, was he sincere when he was talking to Aleister Black? Because it seems like if you listen to the whole interview, they had a, a series of talks. He praised him on a lot of stuff, had some good ideas for him. The last part we'll talk about is stuff related with The Undertaker. That was one of Vince's ideas that, you know, just never saw the light sort of thing. But um, what was Vince blowing smoke up his ass, basically, is what I'm asking you. It's so hard to say because Vince changes his mind from day to day. Like, you're talking about a guy that comes in and rewrites TV shows the day of, right? So, like, maybe Vince was super high on it and then, like, looked at the landscape and said, nah, it's... Uh, I mean, it's it's plausible that Vince was blowing smoke up his ass or Vince was super excited about an idea and then fell off of that idea. It's it's Vince, man. It's hard to say, right? And also, like, who else is talking to Vince? Like, all of his yes-men, maybe they didn't like an idea. I mean, we know Paul Heyman was one that was super behind Aleister Black prior to getting relieved of his duties on Raw. 
So it's you know, so it's a bit weird. I do have some breaking news though. PWI is reporting that Samoa Joe was uh, was spotted at the WWE Performance Center this week. So uh, just to throw more fuel on that fire, Ooh. I guess he was actually there this week. Well, they don't need anyone on commentary there, that's for damn sure. So unless they're doing something really fucking stupid, I guess we'll get some mojo at least back in the ring. And, I mean, that'll be more of a reason for me to watch NXT. And he'll have great matches with everyone and be a really big force there. We can get him and Finn Balor to have another feud if we want to do that. I guess there's some upside. I don't know. I was kind of potentially liking the idea of him... Um, going to Ring of Honor, going to AEW as well, obviously, because we want that brand to get built up more with bigger stars. But at the same time, maybe Samoa Joe wants to have maybe one more run with the NXT title, have some great match over here, have the possibility back going to the UK, and then maybe become a coach and more someone that does commentating. Maybe that's where his mind's going, is towards the end of his career. I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you. And I mean, he could have just been showing up there to pick up his gear or like. No, they send that in a trash bag bags. and they mail it to you. Remember? <laughs> yeah, only if only if you're Mickey James, apparently. It's fucking ridiculous. Oh, my God. If they sent Samoa Joe shit in a trash bag, he would show up and, and fans would be chanting, Joe is going to kill you. <laughs> like, legit. Um. But, I mean, he could have been there to discuss contracts. I mean, it, it could be a one of a billion things. Like I said, PWI reported it. Take that for what it is. It doesn't have any, it doesn't, there's no other details other than he was spotted at the performance center. I don't know how I feel about that still. Maybe he'll show up at fucking takeover though. Uh, We'll see. All right. The last bit of business from this interview that I wanted to go over was the stuff with the undertaker because come on. I mean, there's obvious, uh, we'll state it within this. So he said that he, He befriended Undertaker during a period of time that they were working together. Well, kind of working together, but, you know, wanted to learn some wisdom from him. Uh, And Undertaker uh, said that it's something Undertaker told me at one point. He said the business has changed. He was basically venting to him about himself being the Undertaker. And like Aleister Black, I think he was relating to the fact that Aleister Black was like this more darker character that he basically... For the future, unlike what Undertaker had to do, he had to change things up. Uh, You cannot be 100% character anymore because people aren't going to buy it. You have to lower the threshold here and there and let people in every once in a while. People are not as protected anymore, and fans need to care for a character behind the character to an extent. So the person playing the character. This is something that I think throughout the, what, the last 10 years Mark Calloway has come to grips with. And good stuff. So apparently during the time, and strange enough, I said this as a suggestion a while ago when we were talking about Darby and Sting as of what could have been with Undertaker and Alistair with an interaction. The AJ whole thing uh, with with AJ Styles um, going against Alistair Black during that time period while, under, while he called out Undertaker, they have that match. Gals and Anderson come out when the refs got bumped. Them and AJ beat the crap out of Aleister Black. Lights go off. Lights go on. Undertaker's choking out the two of them. Gives them both choke slams and takes out AJ Styles. Lights go off. Lights go on. Undertaker's gone. Aleister Black gets a black mass on AJ. One, two, three. Beats him. That was actually supposed to build towards WrestleMania. There was supposed to be like kind of like a 
Undertaker helping out Aleister Black or them being on the same page, just an interaction between the two of them that would have at WrestleMania. And Aleister, I think, sounded like he was excited about this, even though he didn't really have a match in it, is that, you know, they're supposed to be in front of crowds, remember, because what happened, this is the one that ended up being the Boneyard match, and that was his last match at last year's WrestleMania with no crowd. But if it was in front of a crowd, they wanted the Good Brothers to come out, uh, attack The Undertaker, similar to what happened, and then Aleister Black would have done the same thing. Lights go out, lights go on, Aleister Black's there. Black Mask, whoever, takes out, helps Undertaker come back, and then, you know, waits at ringside. Undertaker wins against AJ, and Undertaker kind of gives him like a little nod, if you will, to amplify Aleister Black, and he kind of built a relationship. This is cool because it's kind of, this is what I've been saying with Aleister Black, how I kind of had that type of concept in my head. Well, apparently, Paul Heyman and Vince both saw that as well, and he kind of got to know and befriend Undertaker and take advice from him. Um, and beforehand, he never really knew the Undertaker when he was younger. He knew him later when he grew up, but you know he wasn't exposed to WWE for years of his childhood. So I don't know. I just thought it was a really cool story, and it kind of sucked that that's ended up what happened. Um, I know that the pandemic probably had more to do than anything else, but it would have been nice to have Aleister Black involved in that to kind of get like a little bit of a nod from the Undertaker. Yeah, and they even teased it, right? Yeah. If I'm recalling right. I mean, they, they definitely teased it, but at the end of the day, they ended up with that's doing it, that big cinema. I think that's a that was the perfect Undertaker send-off, honestly, versus Undertaker in just a normal match. So while while the idea itself is cool, what would I mean, Alistair, I guess, would have been in the Boneyard match. Yeah, I guess at that point it was like, well, why the hell do we put him in this? Like, what's the point? You know, I guess they could have, but yeah, without it being at WrestleMania, and then you have that same thing that happened at the pay per view previous with Undertaker making the save. It's not going to be the same, you know. I guess if he shows up, that's kind of cool, and maybe Undertaker gives him a fist bump, but I don't know. That would it wouldn't have worked. I don't think in the Boneyard match at all. So I get yeah. why they didn't do it. Yeah, from from that standpoint, I'll give WWE a little credit, especially because they weren't really going with The Undertaker. It was more of a mash of the American badass and, and who Mark Calloway is, really, in the Boneyard match, if you really think about the way they built that. And, and I, guess, I guess I just felt vindicated, and I was happy to know that he ended up having somewhat of a relationship with The Undertaker, and kind of Undertaker took him underneath his wing. While Vince visually saw a connection between the two of them that he wanted to do something with, but they just couldn't. And Aleister Black, he explained, man, this is what happens with creative. Sometimes something gets said, sometimes a, a few gets brought up, and then it just doesn't work out that way. And that he doesn't hold that back. He was very nice and humble throughout the whole interview. He didn't have to be. Yeah, I think that was the more surprising thing for me with Aleister Black because he's had so many starts and stops since he got to the main roster is that he he did not burn any bridges, for sure. He did not torch the company like he probably could have, especially knowing that his the way his wife was let go. Um, he kind of took the higher road, which, I mean, might work out for him in the end. Who knows? All right, well, let's let's finish up. So, 
this happened last week. I thought it was awesome. Uh, GCW had their zombie walk pay-per-view. And Nick Gage, at the end of his match, was, you know, kind of standing in the ring, doing his thing, posing whatnot. Glasses everywhere, all over the... F- I watched the whole match. It was brutal. I forgot the guy that he just destroyed the whole entire time. Um, but then we had this mask guy in sweats, or, or all black, basically. And, you know, he's behind Nick Gage, and he starts doing the little... I call it, it's, it's, John Moxley does it now, but it's, I remember DDP doing it and that reminding me of Axel Rhodes. So that like little, oh, you know, that little thing that he does. So everyone assumes, oh, it's Moxley. He's about to crash fucking this whole thing. And then he grabs him, does a double arm DDT, Moxley's finisher, and then takes off the mask and it's Matt Cardona. And everyone turns on him. The best fucking heel for GCW, if you're going to have a hardcore deathmatch wrestling audience that love guys that destroy people, if Nick Gage is your fucking babyface, the overly buff from de- from WWE from the start uh, who has an action figure podcast, you know, dude is perfect to be your... And I thought this was brilliant. He's flicking off the audience, telling him, fuck you, you know, just being aggressive as hell about it. Uh, he was on his, uh, he basically had a a toy podcast in Baltimore at a venue, like a live one with fans. And of course, Nick Gage showed up. So that wasn't really good, uh, for him, you know, them fighting. And then, uh, you know, it was announced GCW homecoming, Matt Cardona versus Nick Gage for the GCW championship, Chris. What the hell is going on in wrestling nowadays? Is the internet title going to be on the line, too? <laughs> I love I it. Hope so. It was great. And Matt Cardona is the perfect heel for that audience because he is the prototypical, I love WWF, look at me, I am a WWF wrestler kind of guy. And that federation is not that. Not, <laughs> not that at all. So him coming off is like very much shades of uh, Mick Foley that we talked about earlier being yeah. anti- anti-hardcore it's pretty great and also the fact that he teased everyone by acting like moxley you know and that it's not moxley and you're pissed it was it's good shit also apparently he's got a pbr beer commercial coming out that i just saw on twitter and sent you the link for oh jesus (laughs) which should be pretty good uh matt cardona is just out here living his best life just doing his podcast and i guess uh about to get murdered by nick gage (laughs) Hey, man, whatever the customer wants, right? Babyface Nick Gage out here. Like, we we called it. Dan, you and I called Babyface Nick Gage in in our fake wrestling promotion. (laughs) I didn't realize how much of a babyface he was with his own crowd until I watched that documentary. They they love him. Yeah. Um, Nick Gage is for the kids. And uh, this should be fun watching him and Matt Cardona have a match. Who <laughs> tanks for the kids? Oh man! Um, all right, I'm gonna give you two headlines. Ask you yes or no, and we'll we'll get out of here. Okay, Brock Lesnar has returned to the WWE's list of active superstars. I don't know if that has been moved, but maybe within the last couple hours, maybe day, they they changed that. But uh, is Brock Lesnar coming back, Chris? I'm gonna say yes. I think he's gonna be showing up, and he will be at SummerSlam. I'm going to say yes, he's at SummerSlam. 
Leo Rush retiring from professional wrestling after shoulder injury at the last pay-per-view during that battle royal. He apparently separated his shoulder, and after many injuries, he's saying it has been a great ride, but that's it. He needs to work on him being a dad with his family and his body not breaking down anymore. He's still in his 20s. He also has retired beforehand. Now, I don't think it was injury-related back then. I think it was more ego-related after he left WWE, but... Is Leo Rush done? I To me, I want to say yes, because I don't know why you would have... He could have worked with MLW, AEW, and New Japan all at the same time. There seems like, unless it was a really big injury and he was finally like, that's it. I don't want to be like Dynamite Kid. You know, I've broken down my body. He used to do a lot of crazy, stupid shit. Like, going through fucking, you know, tables at the top of ladders from a Sunset Roll powerbomb. If you remember that spot... Maybe it's like that, or maybe it's another Kanye West-level Leo Rush stunt where he's going to be back two months from now at somewhere else. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it's uh, it's weird after he basically well, – I thought he signed with AEW. He so did. Weird. He, he literally signed. signed with AEW and New Japan for part contracts and then said, all right, never mind. Yeah, so I don't know, man. Uh, if he's really that hurt and he's retiring, then I'd just send him best wishes and hopefully he'll find something else in the world out there and, and hopefully he's made enough money to just be good. But, I mean, like, he came from CZW to NXT, had a short run there, got released, retired, came back, did some stuff in New Japan, signed with AEW in New Japan, and now he's just out again. Did he get hurt during the, that Battle Royal? Or re-injured, yeah, I should he say. Sep- he separated his shoulder during that battle royal, and that was like the the final straw. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if he is retiring, well wishes to him. Uh, Dave Absolutely. Meltzer. Dave Meltzer seems to think that he is not going to be done. <laughs> He'll be back at some point. And uh, being as young as he is, I could see him attempting to make a comeback in the future but if he is done well wishes to him and hopefully he finds something like whether it's acting or whatever he's into hopefully he can find something down the road i think the statement that really made me think that this is this is true was he basically said like he doesn't want you know to not be able to hold one of his children or it be him be in immense pain holding one of his children because he screwed up his shoulders like pretty much everything's messed up in his body, is what he was saying. So yeah, and I mean this points to like Jim Cornette's theory of like don't do fucking CZW bullshit <laughs> and end your career. Yeah. Really, because I mean if you go back to that sunset flip, that thing was fucking gnarly, um, which was from CZW, right? Where he takes that sunset flip off the top and they go straight through, like kind of through the tables, but miss. And he just fucking flatbacks on the concrete, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he got right back up, but I don't even know how, man, because that looks so gnarly and just painful. But and that was his la- that was his last match heading into NXT, which made it even more ridiculous that he would even do a spot like that. You know, Rush is like it, it to me is very similar to how a lot of people feel about Hiromu Takahashi and Will Ospreay. It's like he would make you scared with some of the shit that he was willing to try out um, at least pre WWE days. 
So I get it. Just uh, it sucks. It's a really talented guy that at least, I mean, I don't know if he was having issues in WWE, and this is why he was managing then, and they decided to go back to the wrestling. But he showed he was a great manager. So, I mean, he made Bobby Lashley relevant for like a little while um, until MVP just completely redid him. But I don't know. Maybe there's something else for Leo Rush to do. He was an incredibly great high-flying wrestler, though. Very impressive. Best wishes. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, best wishes to him. And, and I could also see him going back into a management role because I thought he was really good at being an annoying-ass heel. He had shades of uh, Jimmy Hart, kind of, <laughs> but in a different kind of swagger. Well, all right, guys. That's it. We are done with our episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. It was- it's under three hours and 30 minutes, so, you know, that's a short show. Anyways, but uh, seriously, thank you, all of our old listeners, for listening. You guys are great. We love you. Keep on listening every week. Uh, for our new listeners, we usually record this on Saturdays. We try to get out the next day, uh, so you can listen to it pretty much most Sundays during the week. Just check it out We're on every downloadable platform. Just search Wrestling Geeks Alliance on maybe doesn't matter if it's YouTube, doesn't matter if it's Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud. We're on all those platforms, so just search. You can even search on Google, Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Everything will be right there. And, um, yeah, join any of our social media platforms, Geek Fives Nation, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Try to find one of us on, on Twitter and Facebook. I go by Dane Alves on Facebook and Dane Alves 42 on Twitter. So just look me up, find me. We'll have a good time. We also have geek nation, which is our website. Just uh, thank you guys for listening. And of course my co-host, do you have any drops and let the people know where they can find you, sir? Yeah. If you guys want to talk to me, you can hit me at, at Chris R Patton on Twitter, Christopher Patton on Facebook. Patton is spelled by the way. I've had someone ask me this. It is general Patton, like P A T T O N like the general Patton from world war two. So if there's any questions on that and uh skates throats, check that out. That's my other podcast. If you like hockey, you should dig it. And uh, that's pretty much it for me, Dane. I hope everybody out there listening has a great, you know, weekend week and uh, enjoy the pay-per-views. It's good shit coming out. Yeah. You guys enjoy all the wrestling, enjoy everything, enjoy your weekend or weekday. If you listen to this a little bit later, thank you guys for listening. Um, I'm just gonna give it to you. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest that as our, our our ending song. So maybe that happens. I don't know. I don't want to get sued either. So, uh, but you guys have a good one. Let the geek fives be with you. And as always, peace out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh. Yo, get it twisted. This rap shit is mine, motherfuckers. A fucking game. Fuck what you heard. It's what you hearing. It's what you hearing. Listen. It's what you hearing. Listen. It's what you hearing. Listen. X gon' give it to you. Fuck wait for you to get it on your own. X gon' deliver to you. Knock knock. Open up the door to spread. Let the non-stop pop out and stainless steel. Don't go hard getting busy with it. Such a good heart that I make the motherfucker wonder if you did it Damn right, can I do it again? Cause yeah. I am like, so I got to win Break bread 
side with the enemy No matter how many cats I break bread with, I break who you sending me You motherfuckers never wanna know what your life saved Bitch, and that's on a life day, I'm getting down Like a nigga said freeze But won't be the one ending up on his knees, bitch, please If the only thing you can't steal was came out to play Stay out my way, motherfucker Give it to ya, he gon' give it to ya, ex gon' give it to ya, he gon' give it to ya.